When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partners, Brian Siegler and Jonathan Talley. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is brought to you by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. And boys, in less than a month, we're going to be down at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. What you say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Um you know, always good to go down there to 301 South Main Street, say hello to Jeremy, uh, say hello to everyone, and get ready for a game, man. And uh, this is a special night, everybody. This this is something that we did last year, um, received very well. We wanted to tweak it a little bit, get some a couple of new faces on here, do it a little bit bigger this year. So this is the 2023 Hokie hey, season hey, preview. Panel. I'm a new face. I'm a new face on here. I wasn't even on the last You are a new face. We really redid it. We got a whole third host now. Definitely redid (laughs) Full revamp. So if if y'all don't know, we got nine panelists total. One is uh, our very own Shelton Moss coming in on segment two. And what we need from you is uh, each segment is going to have a little part where we're going to get some audience questions in there for the panelists. So you've got some questions you want answered whether it's general where we can kind of run it each segment or whether it's something specific for that panelist for that segment let us know put it in the comments we'll get it on air for you and uh let's let's start it off here we got the the first panelist he is a third generation hokey who has been attending games at lane stadium since he was two years old he's a podcaster content creator and one of the elite members of the virginia tech twitter community please welcome Grayson Wimbish. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Been a little while, but, you know, we had so much fun last year. I appreciate the opportunity to be invited back to do this. How are we? We good? Everybody good. good, good. Man. I feel like, Tally, show them how good we feel. Man, how, how's the weather out there? How's the weather? <laughs> That's how good we feel. How's the weather out there in L.A., man? It's good. It's hot. Okay. It's surprisingly humid, if you can believe that, but uh, sun is shining like always. So. Awesome. Well, we're glad to oh, have yeah. you here, man. You got I anybody? Thought, you I thought it was a dry heat out there. <laughs> it is a dry heat. You know, mom and dad were out here last week, same with my little brother, and they're like, dude, I can't believe it. You know, 75 degrees out here, it means 75 degrees. 
not 75 and feels like 96. So, mm. <laughs> uh, very grateful for that, I should say. Nice, nice. Right. Well, next person we have is Uncle Dan. We have Dan Pulse coming in. Go ahead and bring my boy Dan in. Dan is the uh, host of uh, Tales from the Terra Dome. He is your local PK's uh, taste tester. He was the Cheetah Wings uh, taste tester. Coach Liaison. Dan, how you feeling, man? Man, I'm good, bro. God, damn, we are <laughs> sexy. You know that? Right, I, I tell you, this is a good looking crew right here, man. Don't come in here television. Don't come in here with the weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't you start today. No, man, how you living, Dan? Man, I'm good. I can't complain, bro. I'm fresh. I'm fresh off a uh, fan, fan day weekend in Blacksburg, so just trying to keep it together. Hey. Did you go the whole weekend or just Sunday? Saturday and Sunday. Saturday I tied one on Saturday night, and then Sunday I went to Fan Fest. There we go. There we go. Very That's nice, do it. Man. Very nice. Well, we appreciate you having us, Dan. We know you've interviewed a lot of people in the last few months, so we got some good questions for you tonight. Now, our third panelist up in the first segment here, he's been in the uh, VT podcast game a long time. He is the co-host of the Too Deep podcast. He's a Virginia Tech alumni and definitely a dedicated Hokies fan. Like to welcome on Pete B. Pete B. How you living today, man? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me, guys. How you doing tonight, Pete? It's a- I, I feel good. I'm like Tally, man. I got I got a little drink in my hand, as as I will be known to do on a podcast every now and then. Who would have thought? I'm not sure. We all look good. Cat Tally looks pretty. Uh, maybe myself, I, I figured but- that, man. <laughs> I, I tell gotta- Tally his hat game is so strong, man. Yeah. None well, of us wear want- hats. Occasionally, you'll see Curtis with the hat, but Curtis takes the hat on and off oh, that so thing often. Maybe then you know it, it just it, it, it's you can't do it. <laughs> You can't live with it. Yeah, I went hatless tonight. Had to show off the hair, and uh, yeah, I'm ready for this, dude. Let's let's get it going. Well, I got two things for you, Pete. I got two things, Pete. Before we get started, number one, what are you drinking? Okay, I got. I mean, it's an IPA, so and that's not going to surprise anybody. It's a it's a it's a traditional. It's just a little lost in sip of sunshine. You can grab this just about anywhere on the East Coast. But I'm I'm feeling pretty good right now. All right, that's good. Sip of sunshine. I'm not sponsored by them. Pete say y'all got some good shit. If y'all want to go get a uh, sip of sunshine, go do it. Number two, <laughs> I looked at a picture you put up. I don't know if it was your Avi or you just posted a picture. Wonderful looking picture. Everybody's out there. They got their maroon on. They got their orange on. Y'all got the big VT behind you. And then you got a dunce in the front with a big blue Delaware shirt on. Why y'all didn't get the man of yeah, VT shirt, yeah. man? <laughs> Listen, that was an old picture. It was the day we played Delaware back in 2017, okay. and right. we we whooped them. I think we might have shut him out that day, okay. but he went. That was a buddy of mine from. I'm from Delaware, okay. so he came down to visit, go to the game. And there actually was a fair amount of blue hens visiting that day, but they were all very nice because they knew they were going to get their butts kicked. That was back when we could count on stuff like that. All right, I just want to see what was up with the Delaware shirt, but okay, perfect. <laughs> Yeah, the Blue Hands do have a pretty good uh, football following. Like they have a pretty pretty solid fan base. So the fact that they're dedicated, yeah, sure, they're traveling for that. All right, let's start it off here. So we'll, we'll go ahead and break it in there. We got the court the cordialities out the way here. So um, we're going to start with a question from my man Grayson. A whole lot of movement for the Hokies this offseason. Forty percent of that roster got flipped. Some solid pickups in both portal windows. Net positive coaching shuffle. I feel like. Best summer on the recruiting trail since probably 2017. Um, a distinct lack of negative headlines of the turkey bacon persuasion. Um, 
All that said, how are you feeling about the first full offseason for Coach Brian and that staff? Thank you, Brian. Uh, this is a great question, and I will try and be as short-winded as possible. But long story short, I feel really good about this offseason, given the results of the 2022 football season. You know, this staff is obviously – they're selling some level of a dream. The Hokies, as we all know, won three games in Coach Prize first year out. Uh, I think it's fair to say we all expected that. Um, but this summer, man, Coach Pry and his staff have gone out and gotten commitments from kids like Kalen Adams, Gabriel Williams, Gerard Johnson, and Chance Wiggins. What do I love about that specifically? Well, two of the names I just mentioned are two of the top 10 recruits in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And Adams and Johnson are both from Virginia Beach. As many Hokies are well aware, Virginia Beach – for a long time, was a long-standing recruiting hotbed uh, and, a, and a stronghold back in the days when the legend coach Jim Cavanaugh was selling ketchup popsicles to football players wearing white gloves. And then the Blue Bloods, they got wise. The Ohio State's the world, the Penn State's the world, the Alabama's, the Nick Saban's. They came knocking. They've been coaching for eons. So getting commitments from four-star talent, always exciting. Getting commitments from in-state talent, always exciting hearing an exorbitant amount of good news compared to bad news is always something to celebrate when we've had many off seasons that have had a lot of negative uh, undertones, if you will. Now, many will say, and have already said, well, you got to develop these kids that are coming in. And there's a lot of validity to that. I'm in that camp. You look at Matt Brown at UNC and what he's done. Half of those kids he recruited to go there are somewhere else now. Most notably, Tony Grimes. He's at AM and he was he was the guy. Uh, and really, you know, they haven't developed a lot of these these guys. So I'm hoping that Coach Prime and his staff, once these guys are in, you know, at Virginia Tech, we develop them. Only time will tell. We're gonna have to wait around and find out. So if I had in summation to give this offseason a grade, I'm giving it an A minus. It's gone as about as well as it possibly could have after a three and eight season, but you pull a five-star kid, wishful thinking, or Chris Cole, that's bumped up to an A plus. So there is a lot to be excited about in this off season. I hope that answers your question. That's a, that's a great way to answer the question, Grayson. And you're right. It's, it's a recruiting binge that we haven't seen here in Virginia, probably since 2011, 2010 guys like David Wilson's class when it was the way the top 10 had three or four guys. I think Logan was in that class as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it has been an A-. And then you didn't mention this, but I think we all see it. I think we see Coach Prime, we feel he is part of the university. You see him sure. out there, Special Olympics golf last week. You see him, obviously, Dan, you, you've seen him numerous times, out within the community on a Saturday evening, which is always great to see. But, PB, I'm going to go in a little different direction for the question I got for you, man. Between too deep in memory lane that you take care of, you talk a lot about Hokie history. You've seen a lot of Hokie history in your time. Let's pull out the history books on this one. On paper, on paper right now, do you feel there is a team in Hokie history that is, has a similar pedigree to the one we're about to witness this season, or do you think this is a unique team? Well, uh, every team has its own unique characteristics, right? And if you look at last year, we don't often win three or less games. So trying to pick a team from recent history, you're not going to get perfect unless you go all the way back to 92. But I do think that the 2019 team 
someone that, that again, a team that a lot of us can remember and, and watch closely has some similarities. For one thing, 2018, the year before 2019, wasn't a good season. That was our first losing year since 1992. We went six and seven. We lost the bowl game to Cincinnati. So coming in to 2019, we had a second year transfer quarterback named Ryan Willis because he started the, the vast majority of the games in 2018. And we had a guy behind him who some people were clamoring for, a, a mobile quarterback who hadn't really gotten a chance in Hendon Hooker. That's literally Wells and Chiron Jones. Like that's it's a very similar setup there. Then you factor mm. in the receiver depth from that 2019 team. Trey Turner, Hazelton, Tavion Robinson, Grimsley. Let's go the tight ends, Mitchell and Keen. I mean, that team had some really good receiving options. And we're hoping Jennings and Lane and Felton and Daquan Wright and Holloway. Gus, now we're hoping those guys can be what the guys in 2019 were. Then look at the running back, Malachi and McLeese. McLeese was a guy who was slight, wasn't the biggest running back in the world, kind of struggled with injuries. And then in 2019, he went for 800 plus and had a really nice run during that year. So flipping to the defense, you will remember Farley and Waller from that year. Great corners. Well, the strength of our secondary, strength of our defense is hopefully the secondary this year as well. You had good safeties, Diablo. Connor and uh, who was our, who's our third guy that year? Uh, Floyd, of course. And so we look at Stroman, we look at people's, there's a lot of similarities. Now, clearly I want the pressure on the quarterback from the defensive line to be better this year than it was in 2019. Cause there was very few sacks, but I, for those reasons, I'm going to say the 2019 team, I, I Grayson has a great deal of knowledge in this area as well. And I know you guys do too. I, I couldn't really think of anything, but I think th for those reasons, there's, there's a lot of corollaries to this year, especially with that quarterback. I also hope that our quarterback doesn't suck for the first four games. This year. Like, <laughs> we all hope that. Please, please. I can't do it again. Like we saw at the start, especially the way it started last year. I can't no, do it. I can't take it. Yeah. I can't take it. Right, we didn't, when you do your own thing, Pete, you can, you can say that. On here, we ain't gonna even talk like that. Right? <laughs> we ain't gonna even talk what, about you, the quarterback you, being the first four games sucking. No, I said I hope he's not. Yeah, <laughs> no, we, don't, we don't even want to bring it up. We, we, we don't want to juju. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, nah, nah, that's Listen, great. I hope that Grant Wells does well. How about that? No, nah, man, awesome, man. But no, nah, that, that I honestly, how you answered that question was awesome because I didn't even think about the similarities between the teams and when you nope. talk about the transfers coming in, like. That's why we get smart people on here who know how to dig into stuff. Because people like me, I just go off the top, you know, kind of like Dan. You know, that's what he does. Dan goes down. Dan goes down to uh, uh, Blacksburg. We know, Dan, you've been down there. You've built a lot of relationships. You pretty much are what Coach Pride preaches about. You know, you, you Coach Pride talks about the relationships. Uh, you've built some of those. You've been down. You've interviewed players. You've interviewed recruits. You've interviewed coaches. Uh, you've done a good job of that. You know, we appreciate your content. We appreciate you uh, having a good time and sharing that with us. But I will ask you, my question for you is, through that, through that insight that you've got and through those relationships that you've built, um, what gives you the warm and fuzzies about this season that's coming up? And also, do you feel any pause about maybe this season? Man, I would say I've been blessed to develop the relationships that I've developed. Uh, I probably learned that from my mom. She's always been a networking queen. So it's really about who you know, gets you in a lot of rooms, and then they figure out what you know, and then you stay in those rooms, right? Um, the coaching staff seems really excited about the athleticism on this team. I think we're more athletic 
at every position group now than we were last year. And I don't think it's close. Um, Pause-wise, I would probably say what everyone else is saying, offensive line, not so much the defensive line, but, uh, I mean, you had Antoine Powell on one edge, and then you got a slew of others on the other edge. Uh, I like our, our chances of getting some pressure this year and creating some mistakes from the opposing quarterback instead of our own. But if the offensive line can answer the call, and I think we can because I met Ron Crook this past weekend, and, buddy, I'm a believer. That man is intense. He is 1,000% the epitome of an offensive line coach, and that man's ready to get nasty. Yeah, before uh, before we hit the, uh, hit what's the, up, man. the go live button tonight, Dan was talking about, he's like, yeah, I talked to Crook, and he's like, Crook would be your type of guy. And I was like, all right, yeah. all right. Um, so, yeah, it's good to hear that. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more nasty on that offensive line. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And more consistent play. Uh, I know I've said it a lot, but I felt like last year line was thinking too much. Sometimes when you're thinking too much, yeah. your feet don't do what they need to do. And not, not trusting your yeah. eyes to get to your spot. Just go so I th- pinch some people's nuts. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, you nuts, and Dwight talked about it last night, Brian. Get a little you mad. You and Dwight talked about it last <laughs> night. You know? Y'all talked about it last night about playing line, you just should go. Go hit somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to be like Lincoln Hawk. You got to be able to take the hat and turn it around, and it's got to be that switch, and you become a fucking different person. That's what playing offensive line is about. All right. All right. Well, we do got one from the chat. Let's throw that up there. Let's let these panelists decide what they feel about it. What worries you about each about the team? What excites you the most? And I'm keeping it open for the field. So that's from our buddy Delph out there. I'll, I'll throw it back to Grayson. Grayson, what worries you? What makes you excited? What worries me about this team? Um, I think it's just not knowing going into the season who's going to be the starting quarterback. I think that's number one. Uh, Just has Grant Wells shown stark improvement? Uh, You know, what's the deal with drones? Who's going to march out onto the field against uh, Old Dominion at 8 p.m. Eastern on September 2nd? Uh, and then what excites me is just the fact that it's a clean slate um, and that, you know, last season is behind us and there really is a chance to make stark improvements in 2023. Uh, I would say that is definitely what I'm most excited about, and I hope that we all see it. So, Pete, all right, Dan, Frank, what about you? The thing that excites me the most would probably be I really like that wide receiver core. The new additions, uh, Fontel said on my pod, uh, Tales from the Terror Dome, check me out. Um, nah, but uh, he said that the guys that were there last year, like Gosnell, Tucker Holloway, even Lofton, have really elevated their game as well, really been putting in that work this offseason. And I think what worries me the most is – Health, depth, Um, can't afford to take too much hits, especially on the offensive line, at least where we're standing right now. I mean, we could have some hidden gems in the locker room we don't know about because we haven't seen it. But what we're looking at right now is you don't really – we can't really afford to have anybody get truly banged up. 
All right. What you got, Pete? What's exciting you? What's making you worry? Well, the thing I've been excited about, and this has just pretty much happened since the start of fall camp, a little bit in the spring, is the defensive ends. Because as I said before, we ha- our pass rush has been – we have not been Saxburg. We have not been the getting pressure on the QB, get the hurries, get the turnovers kind of team. And that starts at the defensive end position. But we've been hearing good stuff about Burgos, the McDonald that's on the D-line. Uh, a little bit less about C.J. McCray, but Cole Nelson's going to be fighting it out. APR coming in, get, getting on the highlight reel in his first like yeah. week of camp. That's what excites me because that makes such a difference for the secondary, just for the team in general, to be able to put consistent pressure on the quarterback changes everything. And so I've been real excited about with that. What I'm worried about, offensive line. But everyone knows that the issues we have on O-line. So I'll just say in that secondary, which is so good up front, I do worry a little bit about how young we are behind the starters. That would be one of my concerns. All right. Definitely, definitely. Pete is uh, Pete is kind of right on board with what I said um, as far as the, the defensive line and having a ha- – just having a defensive end that you have to uh, kind of plan for. You know, we haven't had that in a while. Where a team is game planning for one of our defensive linemen. Uh, and I think that this year we may have the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to throw another question at y'all. This is uh, just for the panel. I guess we'll start with Grayson. You can answer this first. If Grant Wells walks out there as the starting quarterback the first game, does that change how you feel about the season? For me personally, I expect Grant Wells to start against Old Dominion. That may not be the perspective that Virginia Tech fans enjoy, but I do believe it's going to be the one that you should anticipate. Uh, I imagine it's going to be the classic. You go with the guy who has the most snaps under his belt in maroon and orange. Uh, I do expect drones to see action in the Old Dominion game, though, 150%. But I do think by game three, by the end of the Rutgers game, we're going to know who the guy is for the rest of the season, whether that's Wells or drones. Uh, it might take an LSU in 2007, in 2007 level of quarterback performance out of Wells for Drones to take the job early on in the season. But he came to Virginia Tech from Baylor to play, and that's what he's going to do. Yeah, I, I would agree with Grayson that no, I'm, it doesn't change the way I feel about the season because ever since the spring game, that's what I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. And quarterbacks can get better college quarterbacks can get better we remember brian randall fondly because of what he did in 2004 but in 2003 he was far from a complete quarterback and everyone wanted marcus vick to play and so it guys can develop and get better and i'm hoping that that's what happens to wells this year yeah and what about you man yeah i mean i said at the spring game live show pregame that ollie jennings didn't come to virginia tech to play with grant wells but that's exactly what's going to happen week one. Uh, he's going to play with Grant Wells. Uh, I think we do see Kyron Drones. Uh, Drones is still relatively new, you know. So, I mean, at quarterback and at Virginia Tech, obviously. But uh, that might take him some time, right, to get used to it. But as long as we see him in packages that aren't predictable like the Quincy Patterson ones, I think that we could have some Sean Glenn and Tyrod Taylor type of magic, hopefully. Um, and if not, I mean, we're going to, I hope one of them is the guy, right? Yeah. That's all we want, right? That is as long as one of them is the guy, I the think guy. we're going to be all right. Yeah, as as go hold on, hold on. I'm going to say something real quick. And this is going to be coming from the lips of Tally. 
as long as nobody won the touchdown to one interception ratio at the end of the year, that's that, what man. we want. That's what we want. <laughs> I saw a really good question from uh, Bryant Cobbs here. And real quick, boys, one name, real quick. Grayson? Phil Darius Payne. There you go. Phil Darius Payne. Please. Dan? One guy. Juan Felton. Juan Felton. Pete? Uh, I'll go Tucker Holloway. I was going to say Feldman. <laughs> All right. There we go. So uh, wideouts are going to be the story of the year. I like that. The I'm going to say most Phillips. Cover. I'm going to okay. say most Phillips. I think most Phillips is going to pop somebody on a special teams play. Tally, Brian, what do y'all think? One well, guy. You know, Wait. man, listen, they, the, the two took – well, Dan said Feldman and Pete wanted Feldman. And I wanted <laughs> Feldman. I watched Feldman do – I've never heard him talk. I really didn't know what he looked like until I seen him at media day the other day. And he might be crazy, and I like crazy. Like he just <laughs> they was talking to him, he wasn't smiling. I mean, he started smiling one time when they asked him about somebody. I think they was like, Are you and Ali Jennings friends? And he was like, Yeah, we're friends, and he started smiling. But other than that, he was right back to what do you like to run? Give me a go route that can't guard me. Like, that's what I need, man. I need somebody that is Is just he the wide out version of Corey Moore? Is that what we're getting? Oh man. that's what I need. That's what I need. So <laughs> I, I gotta go with Phil. Bring up the clip from the sugar bowl. Man, Randy. you know, I tell you, uh, I'm going to have to go a little different. I'm going to go Lane. I think I think he's going to kind of be the breakout player this year. I think Jennings is going to get a lot of attention, and he's going to definitely be a dynamic player. But I think Lane is going to be the wide out that kind of makes the offense hum because he's going to be a guy that can move the sticks for you but also have a game-breaking play. So I think that's what we've been missing in the offense. We didn't have a lot of – intermediate routes that were successful last year. Uh, we were uh, – Shelton's coming on the next segment. He can tell you in the intermediate uh, area of the field, we were probably one of the bottom power five teams in the country last year. So uh, a guy like Jalen Lane is going to help with that. 100%. So, I mean, I like all the all the names here because, A, it's not one room. We got a couple rooms. A couple of y'all wanted wide receivers, but we're seeing it all over. We think defensive line. We're thinking secondary. We're thinking wide receivers. But let me ask y'all this, because we're gonna have to sit. We gotta watch ODU. We're gonna well, I know us three are gonna be at Purdue. I, I think a couple of y'all are gonna be there as well. But by the end of September, we're 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 leaving Marshall. Where do you think we need to be in terms of both overall record and eye test, Pete? Uh overall record, I'll say three and two. Uh, because that away game at Marshall just terrifies me so bad. And then we got pit. And I'm not saying we'd lose those games back-to-back, but overall, the Purdue game's not going to be that easy. Say what you want about Rutgers. It's on the road. It's their scarlet day. It would not be good to lose the game, but we could. Uh, Shiano has a tough defense up there. That game could be 13-10 to 10 or something. And so uh, I, I'm going to say 3-2. and two, And if it is and 3-2, I will actually be all right with it because that leaves you seven games to potentially get three more wins to go to a bowl. And that's all I want this year. Dan, I'm gonna go four and one through September. Hopefully, I think we'll drop Pitt, but uh, I'm hoping the others are W. Uh, as far as when it comes to ODU, you know, pardon my French, but any other result besides beating their fucking ass is not acceptable. <laughs> uh, they deserve to get stomped out. This is our yep. state flag flagship program. Uh, Hudson Card, going to be great. Don't think it's going to be in week two and a new offense with a new coach and a new team. And Rutgers, definitely beatable. You know, Piscataway, New Jersey, not scaring anybody. 
uh, and Marshall, very familiar. They just they don't have it. Uh, ironically enough, if they had Grant Wells, they'd probably be pretty good because they don't really have a quarterback that we know of. Um, they got a good run game with Rasheen Ali, and they got uh, Stephon Gilmore's brother on defense. But uh, I think we take that one. I think Pry is able to mold his vision and get these kids angry, hungry, and ready to prove something. And I think we're going to go out there and be smashed the first month of the season. Mr. Wimbush. <laughs> Five games in September, which is kind of ridiculous. In theory, I imagine all of us would like to win all five of them. But uh, bottom line is, Pittsburgh's a better football team, better football program than we are right now. I don't anticipate winning that game at all. Would I love to be wrong? Oh, good Lord, yes. I would love to eat all the crow. Uh, but in my mind, in my head, we should beat ODU. We should beat Purdue. We should beat Rutgers. And we should beat Marshall. We kind of talked about it before we got on here. I think we're going to drop one of those. I'm not sure which. I'm with Pete on this. I think we're going to be three and two. We should be three and two by the end of September. And I'm with Dan in the in the sense that, good Lord, there will be hell to pay if you drop it to ODU at 8 p.m. EST in Lane Stadium. Cannot happen. Curtis, you asked about eye test also yeah. in there. Let's talk about like the vibe test because I think starting hot this this year because we have a couple w- winnable games, especially up front. If you can start the season two and oh, three and oh, maybe even dance four and oh, like imagine what that would do for the fan base, the feeling, oh, yeah. the vibes around Blacksburg, the recruiting. Like it would be so important for this team to get off to a hot start. Mm-hmm. So that's something, even if we drop two games in a row after that, starting off 3-0 would be true. Well, first of all, yeah. think about the vibe test on this. You go 4-0 yeah. like Dan's thinking, and it comes to that pit game, how many false starts is Narduzzi's offensive line going to have that he likes to talk shit about? They aren't going to have a false start. Last time me and Mr. Siegler went lane today, yeah. he claimed that was going to happen. They had three. What about y'all? Kinda, what about I? Well, kinda, go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, kind of like what uh, – well, I really like what Pete said when he talks about, you know, you get a hot start like that. Uh, we talked about on our um, on our podcast with, with with Prime when we had him on, talking about just the last game that we played, that Liberty game, which we're going to keep going back to. Hate to tell you, we're going to keep going back to it. <laughs> that, that, that Liberty game, no matter what you think they are, no matter what people thought we were supposed to beat them, we're not supposed to beat them, I don't care. We've seen a team that had been losing games and probably should have lost a game that fought and won a game. And then not only that, they carried that momentum from that game to the offseason to what we've been seeing in winter workouts, summer workouts. Now fall camp is here. Like you've been seeing positive recruiting. You've been seeing positive momentum in the program. If you get off to a, a hot start, a 3-0 and start, a 4-0 and start, I mean, what's the trajectory of that program next, you know? But if you get off to a – 0-2 start, God forbid, or a 1-3 start. You know, even a 2-2 two two start, it might get a little, you know, you got some 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 boo birds coming around. So uh, getting off to a hot start right here, like Pete said, I think would just uh, turn it up a notch. Yeah, to that point, um, we, ha- we now have a young team. We no longer have, like, seventh, eighth-year Fuente COVID guys. Um, still got a couple around, but mainly – you know, we're going to have some 2023 guys playing this year, right? Especially with the red shirt rule. Now you get four people or four games. You get four games. You can play without burning it. Imagine 
These guys already feel very confident. The vibes are crazy in Blacksburg right now. I felt it. I've seen it. I've talked to them. Give them some wins under their belt, a hot start, and they actually start to believe it. Bro, it's hard to tell what could happen. You could talk seven or eight games, you know? Just get just get to a bowl. Get us a bowl. Get us that extra game. Recruits are going to stay. More recruits are going to come, and then you just keep building. Elevate the ceiling – or elevate the floor, elevate the ceiling, right? Yep. And I'm with that, and I, I want to piggyback on Pete's point with the vibes. Like, if we can get out there and get three and one in those first four, I, I feel like that would really build the confidence of, as Dan just pointed out, a younger team, but a more talented team than we've seen in the last, you know, two to three years in terms of top to bottom talent. I feel like the roster is finally starting to get rebuilt in a way that makes sense. I feel like that was probably the biggest weakness of the Fuente era was roster management and roster building. We recruited, we over-recruited too many positions. We didn't backfill. We you know, ran players off for one reason or another. Wait, you don't need 10 running backs? 14. You don't, it was 14, 14 at one point. 14, 14 running backs. <laughs> 14. Oh, my God. God, God. Okay, Grayson, real quick, let's get you on this, the vibes, and then Brian's got one more to close us out here. Yeah, uh, I mean, September's going to set the tone. It's going to set the precedent for the rest of the season. We got we got a you know a decent ACC schedule this year, but um, you know, I, to to Pete's point, it's uh, September is the temperature that's that's going to gauge the entire rest of the season. So we shall see. Beat ODU, beat the Beat shit ODU. out of them. There we go. Yeah, we, we got to go out there and, and make a statement that first game because if you don't, that's when, you know, we talk about vibes. If you go out there and you're in a hell game with ODU. Jesus not Christ, good vibes. That's not good vibes. All right, please, so no. before we close out this segment, there's lots of talk about Virginia Tech being back, right? Um, Fuga even said it at ACC Media Day. Um, I don't think this is the season that we see that as kind of a, a, a factor – uh, but what do you expect to see this season that will show you glimpses or signs that we're on the right track to being back? And uh, I'll let I'll let Grayson lead this one off. Sure. Uh, I want to see stark improvement at the quarterback position, and I want to see stark improvement in the defensive performances as a collective. Grant completed 196 passes on 332 attempts last year with a 59% completion rate and came in with the 97th ranked QBR in the country. Respectfully, mm. that has to improve. Mm -hmm. I also want to see that our defenders are wrapping up, tackling below the waist, finishing plays, and swarming to the football. I want to see that our quarterback look he looks past his first read and makes smart decisions. I want to see those elements contribute to us finishing and finishing and winning football games. Those factors to Fuga that will let me know that we are headed in the in the right direction as a football program. Those Danimal, two what you got? Huge. I would say uh, discipline, especially from the offensive line. Uh, defensively, no offense to Keyshawn Artis, but last year when Dax wasn't on the field, felt like the defense was really lost. So I think that we're going to see multiple leaders on defense this year, multiple voices that can keep everybody corralled and focused on the goal. Uh, quarterback play, don't turn the ball over, um, make smart decisions. Uh, receivers, separation, I think we'll see that. 
I think we're going to see a crisper, more aggressive, more focused Hokie team, regardless of if the record shows it. I think that a couple of those games last year that really came down to, oh, this play or that play, I think they're going to finish a few of those differently this year. And I think that they're going to look a lot different. We're going to be able to be proud of them, regardless of the record at the end of the year. Hey, Pete. Yeah, I'll finish it off. <laughs> yeah, the I, I need to see the toughness come back. And I don't just mean physically. I mean to be able to take a punch in a game, whether it's a mm. fourth down conversion mm-hmm. or a touchdown, uh, a turnover, and then be able to bounce back. And that Tally mentioned it with the Liberty game. I, people want to knock the Liberty win. I was with friends that weekend. Everyone thought we were losing that game. And we battled and we battled and we battled. Okay, overcame adversity. We won the game. That's what I want to see. Overcoming adversity is something – that this team, you can go back several years, and it's something we haven't dealt with well in-game. So that's one thing, the toughness, mentally and physically. And then defensively, I want to see aggression, some more blitzing, and turnovers. We have not been able to generate the turnovers. And so that's what lunch, lunch pail defense is all about. Fuga said the lunch pail's back. It's not back until we get some more turnovers going. All right. I, I agree with that, Pete. And before we close out this segment, this is just going to yeah, be definitely. a yes or no. This is a vibe check. We, we've already talked about vibe check a lot here. Vibe check. Is this Virginia Tech football team making a bowl this year? Uh, Pete. Yes. Dan. Yes. Yes. Grayson, what you got? Yes. I'm saying yes for everybody. Yes. <laughs> For my Pete? sanity, yes. Yes. Well, I'll say, you know, just to finish off with what you asked the question now, I mean, Pete pretty much hit the nail on the head talking about the toughness, talking about just seeing Virginia Tech getting back to Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech is – what I think about vintage Virginia Tech, it's not – you know, everybody talks about the lunch pail, they talk about this. Like, the game where Tyrod scored in the corner, he put his hand behind the head. Like, I want to see that Virginia Tech back. You know what I'm saying? I want to see Virginia Tech get that swag back. You know what I'm saying? Have some fun on the field. D-Hall picking one off, take it to the house. Hit them with a little shimmy. Do something. You know what I'm saying? We we ain't West Virginia. We ain't fucking UVA. Like, we Virginia Tech. Go out there, swag it out, throw them orange jerseys on. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> Y'all, by the way, when, when, when we were talking about going to the game, Tally kept talking about Purdue, 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 and we agreed to it. I look, it's orange effect. What a shock that that's the game he's pushing us to. <laughs> But they knew. just keep the orange dust out of it, uh, but, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't need uh, Smokegate. We, we don't need Smokegate, <laughs> Lord. But I like what all y'all said, but Tally, you make a good point. It's the swagger. It's DBU. It is a lunch pail defense. It's popping some quarterback down and standing over him and saying, mm-hmm. you ain't doing shit in our house. Mm-hmm. And when we go to Where's Rutgers, when we go to Rutgers, when we go to Marshall, Fuga taking it out to the center of the field, opening it up, ripping out a massive piece of turf and throwing it back in like the old days, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we want. Dan, Grayson, Pete, fellas, I really appreciate y'all joining us tonight for the first Thank segment here. Check them out. Uh, check Grayson out on Twitter. Always some good content there. Check Down Out on Tales from the Terror Dome, where you just dropped an interview with somebody, right? Yeah, uh, Marcellus Barnes Jr. Marcellus Barnes Jr., the uh, recent commit from Tennessee. And Pete B., you dropped one today, too. And, and tell everybody who you got on the program, man. Yeah, it was every day should be Saturday. Spencer Hall himself uh, was kind enough to spend just about 50 minutes or an hour with me and Robbie. And it was a great interview. We kind of went over everything ACC-wise, state of the program, 
he had some good perspective on Pry from a national scale. So check it out. But yeah, it was it was a great interview. Well, boys, again, we appreciate y'all joining us. Hopefully we run into all of y'all at some point in Blacksburg this season. And with that being said, we are going to take a quick pause, not only from our digital partner, but our primary sponsor, Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I can probably save you a lot of money and I can take a lot better care of you. That's pretty much it. My name is Jeremy Counts and I'm a pharmacist. I own and operate Main Street Pharmacy here in downtown Blacksburg. My brother's a pharmacist, I'm a pharmacist, my uncle's a pharmacist, my dad's a pharmacist. I remember he would give me M&Ms to count in little pill counters. This is something I've always done and I'm just lucky that what I know so well is something that I can do and feel good about it and give back to people. Pharmacies are your frontline defense. Pharmacy's job is to make sure you're getting optimal care for the lowest price possible. Also, we take the pressure off of emergency rooms. I'll tell people immediately when they need to go to the doctor or I'll tell them if they just need a cream over the counter. If there's something that isn't commercially available, if it's something that's not available in a certain strength or a certain form or anything like that, we'll make it. Tailor-made medications. Some of those options save people a lot of money. What motivates me? I get to take care of people and live in Blacksburg. That's all I need. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. And we are back. Well, man, that was a fun segment with those guys, boys. That was a fun segment. Tally, you on mute, man. What are you laughing at? That was, am I off mute yet? You all yeah, you mute, mute. Hey, man, I hope everybody's – was that a commercial? Was Jeremy on the commercial? That was a commercial with our sponsor, Jeremy. Jeremy said, if we don't got the medicine, we'll make it. Yeah, Jesus, he, he making creams, man. I, Jeremy, keep it up, man. I'll be up there. We're going to be up there soon. We're going to be up September, there soon. What is September the 9th for the Purdue game? September 9th, baby. Hey, we there. Yeah, sir. Well, you know, by the way, y'all, y'all just go ahead and – just swallow it. He's gonna make us take Jameson shots. It's guaranteed. <laughs> at least, at least three. At least yeah. three. <laughs> long as he give me, long as I get pickle juice behind it, I'm good. There you go. Well, again, I, I know, I know he likes to stay away from the tots rail though. So you, you might be off the hook there. Might be off the hook there. Well, that was again fun. Again, appreciate Dan, Pete, and Grayson for joining us. But now we got another segment, and we're gonna bring in some more of the Hokies finest out there. Brian, who we got up first here? Yeah, this next panelist needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyways. Uh, He's the managing editor and holds down one of the three chairs on the Tech Sideline podcast. Give it up for the real David Cunningham. Hey. DC. How's it going, guys? Great to see you. How you doing? What's up? How we doing? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you guys. I yeah, I really enjoyed listening to that last segment. Those guys have really great perspective, and uh, I'm excited to chop it up with y'all. Man, we see. Yeah, glad to have you. Always a good time when you come on here with us. Uh, big to be back on the uh, on the panel this year. This is the second time around in the panel chair. A little bit different format this time, but it should be a blast. Yep, glad to have David on, man. He's got the orange on. He's ready to go. He's looking good. <laughs> Combed his hair good yeah, for us. He I ready got to... my uh, my tech sideline. Yeah, man. Shout your merch team. out, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what talking about. that's what I'm talking about. Tech yeah, sideline. If y'all ain't going to check out tech sideline, y'all go check it be. out. By the way, where can, you, 
Hold on, where can you buy that? Because Tally will purchase one because it's orange and it says tech on it. As long as you got a full X. <laughs> Tally, if you send me if you send me your size, I will personally go to the office and pick one up. All right, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Before you get off here today, I definitely will be sending it to you. It's a full X, but I'm sending it to you. And then next. Okay, well, I'll do my best. Yeah. Hey, you gotta you might have to piece two of them together. Just take two two X's and put the mugs together. We'll be we'll make it work. You know what I'm saying? Tech on one side, sideline on the other. Whatever we got to do. All right, next on the panel, man, he don't need no introduction. Y'all go ahead and bring him in, man. He's one-fourth of our Boundary Corner podcast host, uh, Sheldon. He's our analytics guy. Anytime I don't know nothing about what we're talking about, I'd look at Sheldon, and guess what? He's got the stat for me. Sheldon Moss, bring him in for me. Where he at? What's up, guys? How's it going? There he is. There he is. What's going on, Sheldon? How we living? I'm sure I'm just in a hotel ballroom, uh, ready to get going. I'm, uh, I'm the uh, newest resident of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, happy, to be, happy to be on. Hopefully have a good discussion. Well, Congratulations. Big congrats on that, man. We know that was a big step for you. Last week you were, uh, you were, you were sitting here in Richmond and you made your way down to Charlotte. Great for you, man. All right. Last man. He has been on with us numerous times. He has a lot of titles. And I mean a lot of titles. He is the news writer for SI Now. He is the BC Podcast ACC host. He hosts the Hungy Hokey Hangover, the Hoops Pod for Sons of Saturday VT. Also, check out his new page, CFB Filmed, which got me reminiscing numerous times about things. And also, I think the last time he was on here, he was not a father yet. So I was just about to say, he's a new father? He's a new father. Not as okay. new as he was a few months ago, but right. welcome back, Mike McDaniel. Mikey. How you been, man? Quite the introduction, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you only do everything in Hokie Nation. I always say when Mike comes on with us, he is the busiest man in Hokie Nation. He is. I, I keep myself busy, that's for sure. <laughs> how, how, how's the baby, man? Last time me and you texted probably three or four months ago it was keeping you up. Is it better now? Sleeping now. Yeah, hey, sleeping hey, now. I sleeping. <laughs> Love to hear that. Once once they get to that sleeping mode, it, it you know, dad duty gets a whole lot easier. Yeah, he's he's a good kid. We love him. Um, he's having some ear infection issues, but he's doing a lot better now. So hold on, That's hold great. on. Mike said Mike said he's a good kid. We love him. If he was a bad kid, you wouldn't love him. <laughs> still love him. Would still love him. That's fair. That's fair. I love that. All right, so I'm gonna leave this one off. I'm gonna pitch this one to David Cunningham first. Uh, you've had some chances to get a close-up view of fall camp. Uh, we got Jesse Hansen's medical retirement that came out kind of the beginning of the of the camp there, throwing a little intrigue into the potential starting five for the for the Hokies offensive line. Um, what we want to know: who has been the most consistent first-team offensive line unit that you and and others at Tech Sideline have have gotten to witness at practice so far? Yeah, I think it really hasn't changed since uh, since fall camp started. Um, we're now entering the what third week of fall camp. Mm-hmm. Um, Tech's had probably ten to twelve practices by now, maybe probably around ten, um, and it's pretty much stayed the same. Uh, again, it, it's a very young group, so it, that shouldn't be a big surprise. Um, Xavier Chaplin's been at left tackle. Um, Braylon Moore has been at left guard. Caden Moore's at center. Uh, Bob Schick has been the guy at right guard so far, and Parker Clemens is at right tackle. And 
Clayton Frey, I feel like he's kind of a sixth guy right now. He's been working at, at uh, right guard, but he's also been working a little bit of left guard with that second team. Um, I think the biggest surprise recently has been Brody Meadows, um, who was working at right guard with the second team after working at tackle. He's kind of a guy that, that's versatile, according to Brent Pry. Um, besides that, again, it's a really, really young group. Laith Ganim, a true freshman, was in there at left tackle with the twos the other day. Mm. So it, it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching, I think. But but Chris Coleman, my colleague at Texas Island, just wrote a really great preview. Um, when he talked with some guys at Media Day, you get the sense that this – Offensive line blocking scheme is just easier to pick up from Ron mm-hmm. Cook. It's it's less detail oriented, more just straightforward. You know, let's do our job. And I don't know if that's necessarily a shot at Joe Rudolph, but I think they just have two different ways of looking at it. And Ron Cook has done a lot of great things, with a lot of great programs. I'm very curious to see when we come out uh, when 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 I'm sitting there in the press box on September 2nd watching Virginia Tech Old Dominion how that offensive line looks. Because it looked okay in the spring game, even without uh, Xavier Chaplin in there. Um, but again, that was against Tech's second string defense for the most part. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Hokies are going to have to to have a a big uh, year on the offensive line um, for for there to be much success at all. And I think Mike and Shelton would both agree with me that that's the biggest question right now. Yeah, do you get a sense that Freddie's pushing Bob Schick for that right guard spot, or is it more like he's going to be kind of that swing interior guy, the kind of first interior offensive lineman off the bench for us this year? I think it's too early to tell, to be honest. Or at least today's Tuesday. We get to talk to Brent Pride tomorrow on Wednesday. So that, like, the last couple times, it's, I feel like it's been too early to tell. And I think part of it is – Frady's coming from the FCS level. Not that it's a huge jump, but it is a little bit of a change. And he has to kind of integrate himself when all of these other guys have kind of been in the program. So I think it's ta- it might take him a little bit longer to, to adjust um, than even some of the freshmen. Um, but I do think it's something to keep an eye on. I think that's my kind of biggest question down the stretch as we get closer to September 2nd is – is this offensive line kind of set in stone or are the young guys are the uh, Brody Meadows, the uh, uh, Clayton Freddy's are those guys pushing. And, and I do think, I think Bob Schick has improved. Um, Crook was pretty high on him. Brent Pry has, has mentioned his improvement. I, I'm very interested to see when that team, you know, that group rolls out on September 2nd against ODU, what it looks like and how they hold up. Yeah, definitely. Looking at, you know, kind of last year, what we had, what we did, what we didn't do, things like that, you know, was always um, frustrating, to say the least. <laughs> so to hear you talk about, you know, people pushing for time, uh, the offensive line being better is always a good thing. We'll pivot a little bit to, to Shelton as well. Uh, Shelton, we talked to you a lot of times about, you know, various metrics that may have hurt the Hokies last year, uh, some they could control or couldn't control a little bit more than others. Uh, give us two matrix two matrix uh, on offense and one on defense that the Hokies must improve on this year to put themselves in bowl contention. Yeah, so uh, it took me a while to think of the offensive metrics because there are so many to choose from. But the first one I'll start with is uh, passing success rate. So success rate is basically um, yardage gain based on down. Um, it basically measures how, how much you keep up with the stick, so to speak. So last year, Tech finished 118th nationally in passing success rate. 
part of that was because of wells, also because the receivers could not separate. Um, and that was evident in Tech's uh, passing tree. So um, they very rarely threw down the field with a 10 to 19 yard range, 20 plus yards. They didn't really take those deep shots except for the occasional one to kill Smith, maybe. Um, and also because of the lack of the running game that Tech had, uh, teams could just rush four and, and drop eight and do a lot of same coverage. So Tech was in a lot more obvious passing downs. And when you're in a more obvious passing down, obviously the play calling is going to be more quick. Um, so they needed more successful plays in the passing game, obviously. And then the second stat for the offense is sack rate. I had Tech finishing at 108th last year in sack rate. Um, again, partly the function of how many passing downs they had, um, but also communication between you know the offensive line and quarterback uh, was uh, spotty at times. Um, so then um, the last one you mentioned with defense, um, the one thing I noticed, I think they need to do a better job of limiting the uh, explosive rushing plays. So I have a um, I have a metric I made, I made which basically looks at when 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 an opposing when an uh, offense has a successful play, how successful is it? So according to my metric, Tech was uh, 103rd in explosive rushing plays allowed. Um, so they were good most of the time in terms of pre pre preventing successful plays. But when they got burned, they got burned really bad. Um, and I think a lot of that gets back to linebacker play. I know Keishan Artis and Jaden McDonald kind of struggled last year. But the good news is the defensive line should be better. Um, you've got returners in Kendricks and Pollard, uh, Wilford Panay. And um, at the safety position, these are people's Kansas Jenkins. And then linebackers, uh, Alan Tisdale and, uh, and Kelly Lawson. I think, you know, part of the um, part of the reason for, you know, allowing so many explosive run plays, obviously, was the linebacker fits. If you, get, if you get better linebacker play and see more discipline, you're going to limit those, uh, those big rushing plays. Yeah, and, and, and you said a couple things there. First of all, that explosive rush plays, I think if not everybody in this panel went back to Pitt, uh, he, Shelton it. breaking that off about that explosive plays, it immediately maybe go back to that game and all the big plays because the big plays won them that game. We were yeah. competitive. The big plays from Izzy won them that game. But something else, I'm going to go back to what David said and to what you're saying about that sack rate. Brent Pratt has been preaching competition, 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 right? Compete. When you, David, when you just say Bob Schick's getting better, Brody Meadows is now being moved, Leif Ganim is improving, it feels like, and then the thing you, we've heard about Crook's system, it's easier to understand, it's not as difficult. I think you're right with that sack rate. The first one, I think that's going to be tough, whether it's Wells or it's Drones to see if we can do drastic improvement in 10 to 19. But I think we can at least stop the sack rate and definitely with more athletic linebackers. Yeah, we need our run fits, but sometimes just getting faster to the hole will screw things up. These guys to my left and right played there. They can tell you from being on the line and being a tight end. Sometimes just linebackers getting there too quick will screw up the blocking assignments. Yeah, right. definitely. Yep. definitely. Now, now I'm going to pivot here and let's talk to Mike. Because we ain't had him on him forever, and I'm glad to have him back. Mike, you have been notating all over Twitter about all the improvement that the Hokies have made in the portal this offseason, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. How important do you think it is that this group of portal pickups, everybody, not just the offense, but everybody in general, has success on the field in 2023 for Coach Pry to continue to make it an attractive spot for the highly ranked transfers? The biggest story on offense is the quarterback position, right? Like, that's the question about the offseason and how is that position going to improve. Let's go through the transfers just in general. Daquan Felton, 
right? Jalen Wayne, Allie Jennings, Bashel Tootin. That's before you even get to the quarterback position, right? That's all yeah. around whoever the quarterback's going to be. I think what's really important about the transfers that came in to the program for Virginia Tech is that no matter who the quarterback is going to be, the position groups on offense around whoever it is is going to be much better than last year. The, the floor has been raised, right? The quarterbacks can only be so bad in comparison to last year, right? I, I think everybody expects a step forward from, if it's Grant Wells, they expect a step forward. I think that's fair just because the skill talent around him is it's just night and day this year compared to what it was last year. Um, I think with Wells, the thing we have to caution is that we're not totally sure what his floor is at Virginia Tech, right? Mm -hmm. We know what his floor was at Marshall. I hope to God his floor was what we saw <laughs> last year, considering the skill position talent Please. around him. On the flip side, you know, what could his ceiling be, right? It's the ACC. He's going up against tougher competition. I'm not sure we're necessarily going to see the Marshall version of Grant Wells that was really good at times, right? I'm not sure we're ever going to see like that peak for a consistent period of time. But if we get okay quarterback play out of Wells, you know, this offense just needs to be like in the 70s or 80s nationally. That would be a substantial step forward uh -huh. in total offense, right? Um Back to the question just in general about the transfers, like it's important for Pry, I think, just to kind of establish a culture, have transfers that hit because the portal is just such an important part of college football. Now you got to hit on your on your recruits, right? The high school players coming in, but you also have to hit on some of the transfer portal guys at impact positions. The fact that Tech's got so many of them at the skill positions, I think, makes it all the more important that at least a few of these guys hit and have a big year. Allie Jennings, I think, is going to be really good because he has an established track record of being really good. I think the other guys will be good, too. But the spotlight's on Jennings. Like, Tech was lacking a true number one receiver last year. Caleb Smith's a good player. He's not a number one receiver in the ACC. I think we can all agree. Um, and, and that's not, not to take away from anything he did. He was very reliable for Tech last year. But the ceiling's been raised on offense just because of the skill guys that were brought in around whoever the quarterback is. And if Kyron Drones is a contributor or quarterback, right, it, let's say things go kind of sideways, Grant Wells, you know, maybe he doesn't win the starting quarterback job. Maybe it's going to be Kyron Drones. Like, what's Drones going to look like as an impact transfer? That could just make this whole thing all the more important, right? That, you know, Pry is not only hitting on receivers and running backs in these deeper skill positions where he can rotate guys in on a regular basis, but now he's hitting on transfer portal quarterbacks too. I think that would send a really, really good message going not only throughout this season, but year three and beyond. Yeah, I think you're right. I, th I think the big thing with, uh, with attracting talent, you know, we've, you know, this off season, it's been great and, and probably was selling a vision, but at some point we got to see some of the vision start to come together. If we want to continue pulling in those highly ranked transfers, those guys that we need to fill some of the holes we had, from you know a roster management situation that kind of got a little sideways towards the end of the Fuente era, right? So, you know, I think that's important um, as we kind of move forward. Um, so we've kind of hit that. That's the individual questions. We, you know, we we've hit those with you. We want to pivot over to some some folks from the uh, the listers here. Uh, we're going to start 
with uh, this one from our good buddy Jason Long. He actually does the music for the program here. Our so music man's got a question. Let's throw it out there. Let's pretend Virginia was cool with betting on in-state teams. What are some Virginia Tech football prop bets y'all could get behind? <laughs> As Mike chuckles. Mike, go ahead, Mike. Is he chuckling? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. I don't sports bet, do I? I've done that before. I'm only the guy who puts the picks out on Twitter every week. Um, Virginia Tech specific prop bets. Um, it's tough to make them out to to make them up on the fly. Um, I think one would be uh, in terms of games that starting quarterbacks play right so like if you can get grant wells at like an over under five and a half in terms of games he starts i think that could be a very attractive (laughs) one um there we go i think uh a grant wells with like a two to one touchdown interception ratio would be a good one like what can what kind of odds can you get on that uh and then i mean i I think the typical ones right like one would be when i mean this isn't a prop bet but win totals like i'm looking at the virginia tech win totals right right around five five and a half like man i that sounds about right i i know people are optimistic tech will make a bowl game and i'm right there with you if if everything goes right i think tech does make a bowl game but man the the over-unders on tech win totals this year are pretty close to what what i think is what i think is possible and and that's why that's why you bet right oh yeah (laughs) you better put your money you better put your money on that over this year. It's over five and a half. Tally's, Tally's feeling strong. Sheldon, what you got? One prop bet, one, two prop bet you'd say. How about Grant Wells having a 300-yard passing game? Because he only had one last year, and that was against Walker. Okay. Mm. So I feel like, I mean, they're going to they're gonna get more passing yards. I don't know if they're going to uh, necessarily you know, uh, run the ball less, but that'd be, that'd be an interesting one. All right. David? Yeah, well, I'm about, I was about to look up uh, what Grant Wells' season high against an FBS uh, team was <laughs> last year, um, just to, to to give that context. So, yeah, Sheldon's right. He threw for 314. He threw for 277 against Pitt. So, with better with better options, that that bet might be in play, Sheldon. Um, I think it'd be interesting how many uh, how many sacks does Antoine Powell Ryland have? Mm. Uh, if you look at, at at that at that DB room. Virginia Tech has to uh, force a turnover issue this year. Virginia Tech has to force teams to turn the ball over. I mean, Tech was second to last, third to last in the FBS last year in just turnover margin. That has to get better. Um, I'm very interested to see how, you know, the group I'm most excited to watch this year is the defensive back room. You got Monsoor going. Dorian Strong and Derek Canteen, who, in my mind, I think Derek Canteen might be the second most important transfer portal pickup mm-hmm. behind Antoine Powell Ryland, mm-hmm. because I think those two guys are going to impact Virginia Tech in incredible capacity. Now, I do think Ollie Jennings is going to have a great year, but it also helps that Doki's also brought in two other transfer portal wide receivers. But I'd throw a prop bet on. Who leads Virginia Tech in interceptions? Because you've got three really good candidates. Um, I also think, just for for all the Cole Beck fans out there, you can say, yeah, how many how many uh, punts does Cole Beck down, or uh, some, <laughs> something, you know, some something like, um, I'm I'm thinking about 
I'm thinking about like false starts, you know, false starts was obviously a big thing last year. How many games with multiple false start penalties does Virginia Tech have, right? I mean, that's obviously a kind of a downer of a prop bet, but there, I think, I think you could get behind it. I think there are a a multitude of, of those that would be really, really interesting for people. All righty. Well, Jason, we hope you heard. Jason lives in Roanoke, so he could, I guess, technically drive to West Virginia and make the bet there and drive back. So if you take any of the bets, Mikey, Shelton, or uh, David throughout here, throw them a little cash because they're going to be down your way. Brian, what you got next, man? Let's see here. Let's see. Let's let's go with, uh, with this question here from the audience. Um. Who are some non-starters at the beginning of the season that you think are kind of established starters by year's end? And uh, let's let's start with uh, with David. We'll go back across uh, the aisle this time. Okay, so I think this is interesting. I, I won't. I can't. I can't pinpoint it, but I I would be tempted to bet that there will be an offensive lineman that did not start the season that will be a guaranteed starter at the end of the year. All right. That's just the way it played out. And I think, unfortunately, when you look at it, Virginia Tech got really, really lucky with the injury bug last year. No injuries on the offensive line, and the offensive line was still that poor. I'm not saying something's going to happen, knock on wood, obviously. And Virginia Tech, again, escaped pretty well as far as injuries were concerned with that specific group last year. But I think some one of the young guys, whether it be Laith Ganim, or Brody Meadows, or Johnny Garrett, or Johnny Dixon. I think one of those guys on the offensive line, one of those true freshmen or retro freshmen, um, and that's that's another great question from Sam. Um, I right now I I think Schick is is the current guy, but that's what I'm. That's kind of what I'm interested in, right? Is could Brody Meadows become the guy at right guard? Be interesting, or. Clayton, you know, Clayton Freddie is obviously the guy who had the FCS uh, All-American experience. But I think one of those guys on the offensive line, one of those true freshmen or retro freshmen, is going to solidify themselves as a starter at the end of the season. I don't know who it's going to be. And obviously you've got a guy like Parker Clements who's experienced. But what happens if something happens to Xavier Chaplin? And Virginia Tech has to have somebody fill in at left tackle. Right? What if Brody Meadows moves to left tackle and all of a sudden he becomes a really good player there? I'm very interested to see how this whole offensive line group shakes out because that's where they're the most question marks. Right. The questions asked by William, who are the non-starters that you think will be starters by year's end? Well, you look at a lot of these other positions, like you look at Mike Linebacker, which I'd love to talk about more later. It's kind of a toss-up between two guys right now. So – you know, sure, one of those guys might be the starter at the end of the year, but that's not as big of a, a big of a competition. Um, the DB room is pretty well set. Um, I could say Keyshawn Burgos, and I do think Keyshawn Burgos is a name that might surprise some people this year. He, he's gotten a lot of rave from, from Brent Pry and J.C. Price um, at defensive end. I think he's another name that could potentially solidify himself as a starter. But I don't know if there are, there are too many of those guys because I think across the board, Virginia Tech is – set okay for the most part as far as starters are concerned i'm very interested to see how a lot of those those battles for the two deep two deep could work out and i know we'll talk about that more later so what about you i'm gonna go cj mccray 
I'm assuming he's a. Uh... Oh yeah, see, I, I, he's I, I, Mike I beat, I beat Mike. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming, obviously, uh, Pat Rowland's going to start there. Um, yeah, McCray actually graded out really well last year. I think uh, behind Garbert, he was um, Tech's second best grading lineman, especially with the pass rush. So yeah, that's also a spot where you know not quite as much as offensive line, but these linemen get definitely get beat up a lot. So I could see you know maybe the guys get you know, beat up a little bit. You could put them in there hey, late in the season. Mikey stole yours, so you got to come up with some. Man, you, you all, man, you you guys just kept talking and kept stealing my picks. Is what happened. <laughs> I I was gonna go with Burgos, and I was like, it. yeah, maybe maybe McCray, and then McCray got taken, and then I think all of David's points on the offensive line are really well taken because I agree with David in terms of like, I think the starters. You know, for the most part, I think Tech is pretty set kind of across the board. I mean, there's some positional competition, obviously a quarterback, Mike linebacker. It seems like offensive line is pretty much set, but there's going to be injuries up front. I mean, there always are injuries up front. Um, the point where, like, if Chaplin gets hurt and Clements just needs to swing around to left tackle because all of a sudden Clements is the most experienced tackle on the offensive line um, because, you know, he's playing right tackle. That's where he's comfortable. But now he's got to play left tackle. Like, who kind of emerges there at that position? And David lists a whole list of guys. You know, Meadows seems like a swing guy at guard, could kick out to tackle. He's versatile. Cries raving about him. It's going to be either an offensive lineman or it's going to be somebody at defensive end. It's going to have to be, out, you know, um, across from APR. And I, I think that's really the two the two position groups on the on the field right now on both sides of the football that I think have – you know, some guys set and, and there are, you know, some guys who I think are established starters, but I think at the same time, there's also enough questions where, you know, we could see some of the younger guys get some action that, you know, a lot of tech fans maybe aren't anticipating. All right. L- let me ask this. Cause I think all those uh, names or names we're hearing, names we're reading about David, obviously great work, Mike stuff you've been doing as well, but I'm going to go to actually in game. So at the beginning of the ACC play this year, we got Pitt, we got FSU, we got Wake Forest, and we got Syracuse. Which one of the games, Mike McDaniel, so they can't steal from you this time, do you consider those as a must-win in the middle stretch of the season where three of those four are at Lane Stadium? Yeah, the answer is Pitt. Uh, the reason why the answer is Pitt is because, number one, Virginia Tech's going to be in a lot of recruiting battles with Pittsburgh as long as Brett Price head coach. That's just a fact. Like, they're in the footprint. Pride's already trying to reach for recruits in that area. Um, Pitt historically has gone after similar guys to Virginia Tech even before Pride got here. Pittsburgh is always a team that gives Virginia Tech a lot of trouble, especially at Heinz Field. But getting them at home, it's been a little bit more friendly to Virginia Tech over the last decade. I know, you know, recently it hasn't been great. You kind of have to go back a little bit to like 2019. That was a pretty big win there um, when Pitt came to Blacksburg. But like, in my opinion, this Pittsburgh team is flying under the radar in the ACC. There are three, you know, there are the two established teams at the top of the conference, right? In Clemson and Florida State on paper. Then there's a whole slew of teams kind of fighting for that third spot in the ACC. Pittsburgh's a really attractive pick to me because Narduzzi's just established a really high floor with that football team. Like they're always right around seven wins. They've had back-to-back nine win seasons. It's the only two they've had in the last two decades. They have a really good program there under Narduzzi now, and he's raised the profile of the program over the last couple seasons. 
and and now they have a quarterback, you know, in Phil Dracovic, who, you know, hasn't been healthy, and we've seen both a good version of him and a bad version of him. But, you know, he he's reuniting with an old offensive coordinator. He's from the Pittsburgh area. They have talent around him. They're replacing some talent at running back. They do have some good young receivers. They're going to have a really good defense. That's going to be a really tough game in Blacksburg and one that Virginia Tech, I think, may need to win to make a bowl game. Like I think it could come down to that because this September stretch, there are winnable games there. There are certainly questions around a lot of those teams in the month of September in the first four games. But there are two Big Ten teams on the schedule, too, that Virginia Tech doesn't see very often. One of them's on the road in Piscataway, and that's going to be a weird environment that Tech's <laughs> going to go into with a bunch, you know, a bunch of young players. Weird game. Marshall's an experienced team with a good coach in Charles Huff. That's not going to be this, like, pushover game. Purdue's a year-one situation. You get that in Blacksburg. But I just think that th- this Pittsburgh game could be gigantic because I don't know how Tech looks in the first four games of the year. And I think it's, you know, how Tech comes out of September is going to be really important. It's going to dictate whether or not they make a bowl game. And that Pittsburgh game is is kind of the last one there where Tech's really going to need a good springboard in the conference play, I think, to kind of, you know, uh, accomplish what they want to accomplish this year as a team. I just think it's a really important game for a lot of reasons. And recruiting is at the top of that list. Hi, right, Sheldon, what about you? I'm also going to say, Pitt, the reality is they have been the second-best program in the ACC over the last three years behind Clemson. And I think winning that game would, first of all, kind of snap the monkey off their back because Pitt has had their number by a lot over the past few seasons. And also because it would kind of show it like Tech is a little bit back, you know, beating a program like that, kind of like Mike was saying. Um, I don't know if it's going to impact recruiting, but it would definitely make me feel a lot more confident about the, the long-term trajectory of the program getting that win. Dave? Yeah, well, since they both said bit, um, I'll take a different approach. I think Syracuse could be really, really interesting. Now, this is not a great program up in Syracuse. Uh, it's a it's a program that could go to a bowl game um, and, and had some success at times last year. We don't really know what it's going to look like. But think about these stakes, right? It's a Thursday night game on ESPN. This is the time to pitch your program. Yep. And I think the I think as far as recruiting stakes, um, in terms of the the pit rivalry are concerned, the pit game is huge, and just showing that you are back in terms of the ACC, right? We don't know how the first four games, like Mike said, are going to play out, but that pit game is a a big uh, a, a big way to it, we're going to find out in that pit game. Yep. Um, that's Syracuse game. I'm really interested to see this because it's a Thursday night primetime game on ESPN. You can pitch your program. That is a selling point for recruiting, right? It's just like the West Virginia game last year. That is the perfect opportunity to sell your program. Now that is down towards the bottom of that four game stretch. So the Hokies only have what, four or five games after that. But that is a game that I think if Virginia Tech wins, I mean, can, off the top of your head, can any of you guys tell me the last time Virginia Tech won a Thursday night game? Uh, was it Miami 16? Yeah, it was. Miami 2016. So Virginia Tally Tech attended. has played in a couple of these moments. Virginia okay. Tech has played in a couple of these moments in the last couple of years. Georgia Tech a couple of years ago yep. had had a lead and blew it. 
you even even the non Thursday night games playing Notre Dame in primetime, something like that, right? Yep. Virginia Tech has had these moments and not taken advantage of them. You think back to West Virginia last year, the Hokies had an opportunity and they got outplayed. If Virginia Tech, even though it's not a great Syracuse team, if the Hokies can come out and play well on a national stage, I think that does wonders as far as the eyeballs going to Virginia Tech. And it doesn't matter. Virginia Tech could have three wins at that point. But if you can win on a Thursday night and – and show that you are growing, and you guys all know it, pitch the home environment, pitch the Lane Stadium atmosphere, that is only going to drive up the program. And I think, again, Pitt was my first choice. I think Pitt is the logical answer, but I think Syracuse is another pretty interesting one that that could have um, some big uh, benefits if the Hokies can get that win. Before I let Tally ask this last question, I'm going to just officially announce here that this podcast is a pit hate podcast. So um, I, re- I a lot of respect for what Narduzzi has done from a developmental standpoint. Um, but I, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. So uh, I will say though, uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Brett Cianci was on here with us and uh, said that uh, Pat Narduzzi told him that he was the inventor of the attacking four, three defense. <sighs> Arrogant prick. Fire away your last question, man. Yeah, man. So part of my question was just talking about marquee games for this year. Um, And I pretty much you guys kind of hit on what I was going to ask with talking about the Syracuse game on a Thursday night, talking about the Pitt game, uh, talking about a little bit about the Purdue game, which uh, BCP will be at the BC, at the at the uh, Purdue game so everybody needs to get yourself together get on down to Blacksburg for the Purdue game so we can party but a uh, question that I'll ask uh ask all of you guys is looking at all of us here we we pretty much study Virginia Tech and 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 fantasize about what games we're going to I'll ask you guys for future games what do you guys have circled what games are you guys kind of wanting to get to just future games uh, that the Hokies will be playing in Shelton, you lead, man. Yeah, I'll go NC State. I think they are going to be the best team that Tech plays at home this year. I think they'll have a really good defense. Uh, they've got Brennan Armstrong. I think he'll bounce back. I don't know what happened last year at UVA. Well, we do know what happened last year at UVA. They, they obviously had a terrible offensive line. And I think, yeah, he kind of got the yips. But um, they've got him. They've got Ane, their new OC from Syracuse. I think your offense might take a little bit to click. But they'll, they'll, uh, they'll get it going soon. I think NC State's probably going to be the uh, the marquee matchup that uh, Tech fans will see in the stadium. David, I, I think NC State is is the pick. I mean, NC State again, I think is uh, NC State or Pitt. They're the two best teams that Virginia Tech is going to play at home this year. I think that that September 9th game versus Purdue, man, that is sneaky. Like, I think that is a good chance for Virginia Tech. It's it's noon on ESPN2. Two. Yep. That is another – that's another good chance for Virginia Tech to come out and and obviously the program is hopefully trending in the right direction. But I think that is a good opportunity to, to kind of surprise some folks and kind of say, hey, you know, we're, we're – we're we're not back, but we are getting there. And I think if you can do that again on a national stage early in the season, um, we don't need to talk about Old Dominion because that's a game Virginia Tech should win. I think that Purdue game, kind of like what Mike said earlier, this is a brand new team with 
a new head coach, it's it's going to be really interesting. And you're playing in a lane stadium that is probably going to be sold out because um, it's a pretty marquee matchup with Purdue. I think Purdue will probably travel pretty well. I think it'll be a really great crowd. It's an early September game. The weather is going to be nice. Now that I said that, it's going to rain. Uh, Thanks. But, Thanks, David. But it, Jinx. I'll knock on wood. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think that is a good opportunity, again, to sell the program. And I think that could do wonders if you have a great performance against Purdue in week two and mm. you're 2-0. and That I'll leave it at that. Yeah, Tech fans always talk about, I mean, we're tired of playing at 12 o'clock. We're playing, tired of playing at – you know, in the middle of the day on the cooking network, we'll fucking beat the people at that time and get the primetime matchup. Mike, we're going to you. The cooking network. Uh, <laughs> uh, Purdue. It, Purdue's my pick. Uh, it's a national TV game. Purdue's got – Purdue's a name brand. The average college football fan that's excited for football to be back is going to be like, oh, Virginia Tech-Purdue, that's an interesting game with, you know, a rebuilding tech program in year two and a first-year head coach. Like a college football fan, an educated college football fan is going to take a look at that game at noon. Um, It's going to be on one of the screens, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Purdue's an interesting program. Uh, (laughs) Hudson Card is a quarterback that's been around a little bit. I, I think that Purdue has potential to be pretty good eventually. I don't know if it'll be in year one. I think that's a winnable game for Virginia Tech. I think if you're looking for a game or two on the schedule for the Hokies to win, to really kind of start to you know see signs of life, I think Purdue's one you have to win um, to really be like, all right, this rebuild is finally getting a little bit of traction. You got to start winning some of the games that – Maybe you're not supposed to win, but like not only those, but maybe some of these like toss up 50 50 games. Purdue's mm-hmm. going to be one of the several toss up 50 50 games on the schedule. It's an early season game. I think Purdue's the pick. NC State, point well taken. They're going to be pretty good. Brennan Armstrong reuniting with an eye. November, it's at home, senior day. The Hokies could be battling for a bowl game. Yep. That could be a gigantic game. Uh, no what they, what they, beat, they beat us by one point last year. One point. Yeah, yeah. and a game that a game year. that Tech yeah. controlled for should have had two, it. two and a half, three quarters. Like yeah. we saw a little bit of adversity and we crumbled. Didn't know yeah. how to win yet. Took two Didn't more know how to win one yet. more of those, and we finally yeah. learned how to win. Brian, yeah. you got right. one more to throw out. Yeah, them. yeah. Before one we close out this segment, um, we're just gonna keep this simple. This is gonna be a yes or no. Yes or no? Will the Hokies make a bowl in twenty twenty three? Mike, what you got? I'm yes. smiling because I know I know David's answer already. Uh, <laughs> n- no, I, I think Virginia Tech goes five and seven. Uh, too many questions: quarterback, offensive line, Mike linebacker, defensive end. Like a couple of those positions aren't going to hit. And I just think I think there will be improvement. I think Tech will have a shot. Bowl game is definitely within <laughs> within the realm of possibility for sure. But five wins would be a huge that would be a huge jump the fans may not love that answer but like that would be a huge jump compared to what we saw last year one fbs win like one one power five win sorry like get to five get to six wins show signs of life i'm gonna go no though five and seven all right he says no shelton if i was a betting man which i'm not i would take the over 5.5 wins tech will make a ball game and i mean i'm with mike it's funny Mike's like, I knew what David was going to say. 
Mike had me on his podcast and we <laughs> talked about this. And, and look, I'll say this. The potential is there. This team has the potential in my mind to win at least seven games. I, If Virginia Tech went out on that field and won seven games this year, it would not shock me in the slightest because there is talent there. But you also have to think, and as somebody who covers this program day in, day out, there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. And Virginia mm-hmm. Tech is on the up, but not there yet. I think five and seven – I think six wins in a bowl game is very realistic. I think that's what everybody should be shooting for. I don't – until I see it, I don't want to – I cannot see it happening. And that, that might sound bad, but there were too many games last year, like the NC State game, like the Miami game. Where the games were in Virginia Tech's hands, and the Hokies, yeah. it just went away. And if Virginia Tech wins those games this year, or even half of them, Virginia Tech's in a bowl game. No question about it. It's going to come down to the turnovers. It's going to come down to the little tiny plays. It's going to come down to clock management. It's going to come down to Brent Pry being a better head coach Mm -hmm. now that he doesn't have the responsibility of calling the defense. I don't know how that plays out. I'm going to have to lean five and seven, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And I think this will be a much better team this year with a lot of talent. And I think tech is going to surprise some people. And again, it would not shock me if this it is a six or seven win team, but until the Hokies go out there and, and prove it, especially with the offensive line questions and a quarterback that we don't know how, how good he's going to be because we don't know who it's going to be. Everybody else around them, and maybe every other position might be better. I just, I just cannot say Virginia Tech is going to win six games unless I actually see the result on the field. All right, so, so Shelton's optimistic. Mike and David have to see it next week. Shelton's going to get more in depth with us because we are going to be doing a season preview. So, Shelton, thanks for coming on. Uh, get back, get away from the vacuum cleaning person back there, <laughs> Mike and David. Boys, as always, great having you guys come on with us. We really appreciate it. Check out Mike over at Hank, Hokey Hangover amongst the other 10,000 things he does. And always check out David Cunningham along with Andy and uh, Chris over at Tech Sideline. You guys are doing a bang-up job this fall, man. Appreciate it, boys. And uh, we're going to go to a little clip of what's been going on on the Boundary Corner podcast up to today. Let, let me ask this, because it, it's already clear how much you love Virginia Tech, just what you're doing. Why? Why was it Virginia Tech? Because, oh, man, I'm looking at your offer list here. Uh, you could have went anywhere you wanted. Um, first, what really caught my eyes, um, Coach Brooks. Um, so, Coach Brooks from Maryland, he was actually my first offer. So, okay. we always had that close relationship, and, you know, we was a family friend and stuff like that. So. When he told me he was making the move to Virginia Tech, it automatically made my list, you know. So I went up there for a spring practice. And I'm like, hold on, I actually like it, you know. Sitting down with Coach Marvin, Coach Clinton, Coach Pry, um, and, you know, them just having a vision for me of being the face of the defense and, you know, just doing everything in the defense. That really caught my eye. So I knew it was a place for me. I just came back on the official to make sure. And the first thing he's looking for is that is there a free access throw? Is there an alert throw where he can just get it out there and get some free yardage. That's what you're looking for first. So if, if, if the answer to that is yes, then you're going to throw that. If not, you're going to move to the next step. 
Next step, do, is there box or pressure issues? Is the box overloaded? Is there uh, some somebody showing blitz pre-snap that could create some, some issues for you? If the answer is yes, you're going to go ahead and make a check to pass protection, and you're going to throw the pass uh, in that RPO uh, call. If the answer is no, you're going to move to the next step. Then you're going to ID the read defender pre-snap and determine if they can make the tackle on the ball carrier at or near the line of scrimmage. So if the guy that you're reading, typically in, in like a 4-3 defense that we're looking at here, that's going to be the outside linebacker to the, the throw side. Um, if that guy can come up and make a play near or at the line of scrimmage, then you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to go with the pass. Um, so if the answer is yes, you're going to make a perimeter throw or a pitch, whichever the play call is. And if he's kind of outside the box, he's playing that pass leverage, then you're going to go with that middle run or dive. Um, and I said, I, it's my job as the head coach to make this most, the most competitive roster in the country. That's my job. If I'm not doing that, I'm failing everybody in here. We all want to win a championship. The fans, the administration, the staff, the families, the players, the, the lettermen. So to do that, the roster has to be as competitive as we can be. I tell them, I, I told them, I'm bringing somebody in to take your job. That's what I'm doing. So you better be on your toes. That's as real as it gets. And we are back to the 2023 Hokies preview panel with the Boundary Corner podcast. That last one, man, for, for all y'all that haven't checked that out, we did that about two months ago with Coach Pratt. Check that out. He gave three fans off the street, 45 minutes of his time to talk about the program. And it was unbelievable. And now we're going to get in the trenches. Everybody knows that this is a lineman podcast. Definitely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Definitely. So let's start bringing a gentleman on that we are going to be talking about some more fun hokey stuff with. Brian, lead us off. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This next panelist, he is a former Virginia Tech offensive lineman and maybe one of the most well-known members of the Hokie podcast community. He is a Sons of Saturday founder, podcaster, and content creator. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Ray Mitchell. Uh, 10.30. (laughs) Can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than uh, this right now. Appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, this is quite a production you guys put together. So, uh, hats off to you guys. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. We appreciate it. I know uh, good to link up with uh, with the Sons of Saturday. Do a little collab here with uh, you know a lot of the podcast community, bringing everyone together in uh, in the Virginia Tech Twitter sphere and everything else. So, appreciate you coming on with us. No doubt, appreciate it. Billy, what Callie, you good to see you, my man. Hey, we yeah. got to retire that. Uh, we got to die. We got to. We got to retire. I don't want to see you in Blacksburg in that. Uh, that gobble till you wobble explicitive T-shirt this year. I am very anti, anti that T-shirt. Come on, man. <laughs> Billy, where, where <laughs> yeah. are you at? Where you at right now, man? You be all over the place. Where are you right now? I am in Osterville on the Cape, um, and uh, I fly tomorrow to Charlotte for our uh, hot wings and hotter take segment. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing Pat smiling face, uh, tomorrow and, um, we'll be doing that. So that's where I am now. Well, Billy you used to be a little bit bigger. Last time I seen you, man, you look like you lost some weight. So if you need a bodyguard, me and Brian are available. 
I'm down some pounds, but I still I still got some pops. So I think I think okay. I'll be all right. But we're gonna hook you up. We're gonna hook you up with some rowback for this uh for this football season. So you give me you give me an address and we'll get you we'll get you some threads. All yeah, right, man. Sounds good. Well, next, man, we appreciate Billy being on. Next, we want to bring on uh Mr. Luther Maddie. He needs no introduction. He's a little bit younger than us. So all you young people who are on the show, I don't want to hear you talking about you don't know this person. I mean uh, he he was there in about what 2012 2013. I know he was a all ACC performer on the defensive line. I think he was an Iron Hokey, uh, Mister Everything, Luther Maddie. Bring him in for me. Luther, how we doing tonight? What's going on, boys? How y'all doing? I had to take me a little energy drink, man. I was asleep there for a second. Oh man, we saving saving the best for last, man. Saving the best, saving for, the last. best for last. I'm making notes no, over here, guys. We are happy to have you here. Uh, I know you did Mad Assist earlier this year. I, I looked over that a little while ago. Great thing you do down the city because you're in the Hill City, right? You're in Lynchburg, still correct? Yeah, I'm in good old Lynchburg, man. About uh, two hours, two hours of Blacksburg. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, about an hour north of where me and Brian grew up, man. So it's good to see you still doing that. Um, and uh, you know, it's great to have you on because I go back. I mean, all all of us here. I mean, you and Billy Ray about the same time in school. I know he's a little younger than you, but I remember watching you play at Lane Stadium on the Warsham Field when I was a little bit younger. So um, it's awesome to have you on, man, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time tonight. Yeah, and Tally say that because I, I feel old as hell, especially when I get up in the morning. <laughs> I feel like I'm about fifty five. You know what I'm talking about, right, Billy? Like those knees. <laughs> But yeah, like to be here and talk to you guys tonight. Football years uh, go a lot longer than the regular years, so yeah, takes a little bit more off of you. Got your agent and dog years. Exactly. Agent and dog years. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right. Well, right. the 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 last gentleman we are bringing on tonight, he has been with us numerous times, and last night we got to join on him on his podcast. He is a graduate of Virginia Tech University. He was an All Conference. He was a team captain. On the offensive line, he is the founder of Victory Life LLC. Offensive guard, Mr. Dwight Vic. Brother, good to have you on again. Good to see you again. Yo, what's up, man? Didn't I just see you guys last night? Yeah, we were at the bottom of the screen last night. Now you're at the bottom of the yeah, screen. Yeah, you're at the bottom tonight. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll take that. I'll take that, man. Yo, you got us on this uh, TNT Lakers versus Spurs schedule. <laughs> the 1030 10 joint man my wife was like who are you talking to upstairs i said my guys from last night you know what yeah. we made hey, you run up? we made you run late last night we held you up tonight i mean we nah, just we just costing you some sleep it's all we, good we, we, man I didn't, I didn't even realize you know because we were in that big chat you guys got my man billy up here and luther this is gonna be great man what's up fellas Hey, chilling, man. Hey, don't get in, don't get in trouble now, Dwight. Why is that? Oh, no, talking man. too low? Don't, don't no, get in no, trouble. No, no, no. <laughs> no man. Mary, I'm, hey, I'm a veteran. I'm the OG, man. I've been, hey, I know not how to get in trouble. I know what to do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, can, I, can, I can school y'all. I can school y'all on that. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. Well, fellas, we got a lot of good questions to ask y'all. We've got some stuff coming in from the comments. We're definitely gonna drag for y'all to answer. But Brian, you fired off first, man. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about it. We're we're a lineman podcast here. Um, let's speak specifically about the offensive line. And uh, Billy, this is for you. Um, 
this line struggled mightily in all phases most of last year from discipline to assignments, everything in between. Heading into 2023, what, if anything, has changed for this group that kind of gives you optimism to see some significant improvement? Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the group, and then I'm going to do a little bit of a frequency hop, but but bear with me. I'm going to tie it back. Um, So 2023, it's looking like Brody Meadows, Braylon Moore, Caden Moore, Bob Schlick, and Parker Clements. Every single person backing up that group is a freshman or a sophomore, with the exception of Clayton Frady. Uh, who's likely going to be the sixth man. You look at Caden Moore, he's two years removed from being a freshman All-American. For me, what changed about the team that gives me optimism is our running back room. You guys mentioned it on the, I believe it was one or two segments ago, how we used to have 14 or 16 running backs on the team, but the room was primarily filled with guys who you weren't going to see playing running back. You were going to see him running down the field on punt. You're going to see him running down the field on kick return, running down the field on kickoff. And outside of the team that we had with Raheem Blackshear and Khalil Herbert, I can't remember a time that we've seen a room so deep. If you go ahead and you look at kind of the four that I think are going to get the most carries, you got Malachi Thomas, who when healthy is a complete stud. He's averaging four and a half yards per carry. He came in at six foot 180. When we were watching him in the Syracuse game in those throwback uniforms and he looked super scrawny, you were like, I don't know about this guy, but he sticks his face in there on, bl- on blitz protection and he, he played his tail off. Uh, he's listed at 206 now. Look at Basil Tootin. He was in a 1,000-yard rusher last year at NCA&T. And look, I get it. It's a different division. Did that really matter for Brock Hoffman? Did that really matter for Justice Reed? Um, and also Tootin went for 130 yards versus Duke. And they're playing inferior competition, but he's also rushing behind inferior blocking as well at NCANT. And then Chance Black. I'm just telling you, it's been a little bit of a wait. If you're sleeping on Chance Black, you got to sleep with one eye open. I think this guy is going to be an absolute stud. He's super athletic. He hasn't really gotten the chance, but when he's got it on the field, super athletic, game-breaking speed. I'm excited to see him. And then you have Bryce Duke, who's a youngster with great size, who only got better during the offseason. Last year, we averaged 110 yards per game. I'm going to repeat that. We averaged 110 yards per game rushing the football. Jesus. And there, I, I do not see that happening again. Basil Tootin averaged more rushing yards as an individual than we averaged as a team. Yikes. So, you know, David mentioned this in the previous segment. I think Coach Crook has really simplified the scheme, has simplified the responsibilities, is probably on a bit of the same wavelength from scheme as Coach Bowen is. So I think if we can be technically sound, we know what our responsibilities are, cut out the pre-snap penalties and understand what we need to do and give the running backs a chance, I really think this unit can be okay. I really think that we have enough talented backs where if we can get them to the second level – there's enough talent there that this unit can be a lot better than they were last year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with what you're saying. When you talk about the running back room, when you talk about the line, I mean, 110 yards last year as a team, pitiful. That's all I can say. Can't do that. Can't do it and win. 
No, you can do it, but you ain't gonna do it. And win. <laughs> you ain't gonna win a lot of games. Uh, you're not gonna win a lot of games, but we're gonna kind of pivot a little bit. And uh, this this question is gonna be for for Luther, uh, just talking about the defensive line a little bit. And the defensive line this year is a little, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, we got a good mix uh, or an odd mix, I'll say, uh, of veterans and up and comers as well as transfers. Uh, Coach Prize identified. You know, getting after the passer as a, a emphasis, a point of emphasis that he's had this offseason. Uh, how do you think this mix of talent uh, will handle the, the task of getting after the passer in 2023? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, right? It's been quite a while since Tech has had like a real, I feel like elite rusher. I mean, Garbert was my guy. He was a pretty good rusher last year, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about a guy that you just, you know, he just fears, 38. Um, right before the half, two-minute drill, somebody just feared to get after the quarterback. So I think it's been a while since, since we had somebody quite like that to rush the quarterback. Um, but this the top three guys is probably going to be C.J. McCurry, um, Cole Nelson, and then the transfer, Antoine Powell Ryland. And as far as who's a better player and all that good stuff, they're all fairly similar in size, you know, about 6'3", uh, between two, 240 and 250. But I think that uh, Kyle Ryland is, has a bit more twitch in that group, right? Like he knows how to bend the corner, turn that toe, and and, and get to the quarter and actually finish. But he has more arsenal as far as moves. He could do an inside and out. He could do a nice spin move. Um, you know things that Billy probably practice every now and again. So I think uh, you know he he probably has the most potential out of that group. Um, but also don't sleep on the guys in the interior. You know I might be a little biased being that I played these. Um, but I do think that uh, Kendricks, he does, he does know how to get to the quarter. Um, if he can in his motor a little bit more, I think he could have a big time year this year. And hopefully, him and other guys in the interior, they might open up for the guys on the outside to get to the quarterback if they could kind of punish that a gap and cause some havoc inside. So I just want to let y'all know, I ain't, I ain't negating anything that Luther said, but for the listeners who are on here who are listening to this man talk. This is a all-ACC performance. He knows what he's talking about when he looks at the defensive line. So I get it, man. We all passionate fans, and we think – not think, we may know what we're talking about, but when this man is talking defensive line, he knows what he's talking about. Did you hear what he said, talking about bending, getting that to- – hey, I'm just saying, man, go back and listen to it. Y'all going to catch it tomorrow. I got a, I got a, I got a quick uh... – a quick um, question for you guys. Can anybody tell me who the last player was at Virginia Tech to get double-digit sacks? Was it World? Was it Ken? World. It was Ken. Ken in his sophomore I... year. He had 10 and a half sacks his sophomore year, and he had seven and a half his senior year. It's been a while since we've had a since we've had a 10 sack guy. Um you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping that we can get back to that pressure in the quarterback is monumentally important. But yes. Kenny Canham's one of those guys, man. Kenny Canham, go back and watch some film and see yeah. how disruptive he truly was. And he benefited a lot as well with playing with Daddy Nicholas, too. So yeah. Um, yeah. you gotta get gotta get back to getting to the quarterback and disrupting up front. Yeah, when you talk and about was- Kenny Canham, when you talk about Kenny Canham, go watch that Notre Dame game. He was pissed at Notre Dame. Yes, he was. I, think, <laughs> I can't remember what no. year it was, but he was pissed at Notre Dame. And that's also and the thing about Ken. Really. Now, yeah, just, yeah. Go ahead, Don. Well, I was just gonna say, man, that's also that's actually a great stat, great hokey trivia, Billy, too, because he's also one of those guys that you hear me always say, and you see me tweet about he's a Virginia Tech guy like Luther Maddie is, like uh Jonathan McLaughlin, those guys, especially Ken. He was uh 
on that Centerville State Championship team that beat Oscar Smith at UVA. They destroyed Oscar Smith. That Oscar Smith team featured J.C. Coleman, the receiver that was a four-star. They also had Andrew Brown, who was a National Gatorade Player of the Year. And they had um, another great player. They, they were loaded with uh, Josh Sweat, who went to Florida yep. State. Mm. And Kenan Canham that day was the best player on the field. Yes, he was. And to the, to the national leader, he was unknown. But he goes to Virginia Tech and does what Billy said. So shout out to Ken. That was a great stat. Look at Ben coming on y'all show. Yeah, Billy, I like fired that. it off. Look at that. I like what Luther's saying, though, about the interior because this is my view and I see it. We talk about APO. We talk about that bend, right? I think there is going to be so much focused attention on him. The other guys have to eat. There's going to be those opportunities one-on-one. There's going to be some opportunities on the A-gap, like you talk about Kendricks there, Luther. So there are going to be opportunities. The focus is going to be on him. So no, we're expecting we want ten sacks. We'd love to have somebody. But he's going to get the focus. Now, if he's dominating the doubles, watch out because the rest of the line will leave. Mr. Vick, i got to ask you a question next, my friend. This staff, obviously, we've got numerous Hokie alumni on board. You know, you got Gavea Winslow as an analyst. we got X as an analyst. But there are two of your brothers, especially, that are sitting in the coaching chairs right now. And that'd be, uh, you know, Kirsten Prelu, J.C. Price. And looking at Coach Pry's interviews, if there's one thing he is emphasizing to the fan base and outsiders – as much as reestablishing the relationship, it's rebuilding the Virginia Tech culture and identity. How important is it? And and you all, as to Mr. Vic talk to y'all can all comment because you guys all wore that jersey and played on that field. How as important is it to having these alumni on the staff to set that tone and identity and culture from a standpoint of what it means to be a Hokie? Well, you know, um, I feel like. I feel like when it comes to like Virginia Tech football alumni, even other alumni, when you look at Miami or Texas A&M or other universities, I feel like alumni, um, the older you get, the more you really um, want to see the program stay, you know, stay relevant and, and, and do well because, you know, you were part of something special. And you, the older you get to realize you big, that it was bigger than you. You realize like, dang, Virginia Tech, I was part of something really special. But at the same time, I've always been empathetic to the coaches because, the coaches have to coach and recruit and keep the staff. And, and, and now with the transfer portal and NIL, there's so many things they have to do. They're a CEO. I think that's more, you know, sometimes the coaches get blamed for it or they get too much criticism. I think it's a collective effort from your AD with Whit Babcock to Sam and all the people that play a development and engagement people that make sure that we're, we're taking care of when we come back. I feel like, you know, a lot of times we talk about the previous regime with Fuente. I feel like, no, I know. I don't feel like I know this. I think the ball was kind of dropped before Fuente got there. And I've said this before, you know, God rest his soul, Jim Weaver. He came when I was a rising senior. He was a great AD. He helped get Tech to the national championship. And he said he was going to do that. He came from Penn State in Florida. He had a vision. Him and Beamer had a great relationship. Um, But at the same time, when Tech went into the ACC and after the emergence of my cousin, you had guys like Kevin Jones come in, Tyrod, the program got big. And I think, you know, the program was going at a faster rate than the university was prepared for because you had so many iconic players. You went into a, a conference that made more sense demographically as far as, you know, proximity to other schools. And you had the Beamer Ball website, but everything just got really big. And lost in that was the player connections, the alumni. And 
all of a sudden you got guys like myself and DJ Parker and Devon Morgan and all these guys that you can just name from walk-ons to everybody that had an opinion about what tech should be doing, but there was no place to, to voice that opinion. Then you had, uh, you know, Kevin Jones, my guy connect with um, Fuente and, and Wit. He was more so with Wit, excuse me, not Fuente. And he was supposed to kind of bring us together. And Chad Beasley uh, put together a panel I was part of and it seemed to be going well, but then there was no traction. Um, since Prize come in, because Prize was there when I was there, for, we were together for three years. I was there when he was a GA. I think him understanding the relationships, and I think what helped him is going away. I think when you go away sometimes at a school like Penn State, you get to kind of see how it's done at other places, and him coming back, he has perspective. And I think him knowing what how it was done in 95 and those years he was there, and understanding what was you know, needed to help uh, get the program built, he understands the importance of having guys be welcome back. And it's just tough, though, on, on a side note, because a lot of times play alumni, everybody has an opinion, man. Everybody, you, you got guys saying we shouldn't run the spread and everybody's got an opinion. I think when it comes down to it, you just got to do the simple things right. There's got to be a systematic approach in place for guys to be able to come back, talk to players, be on the sideline, connect with the fans, you know, just stay relevant. I think sometimes when I spoke about this about several years ago, fans thought we wanted like a, a rack of hotel rooms and limousines and Cadillac trucks and <laughs> an abundance of tickets. It wasn't about all of that. It was just more so about like, what is the system if I'm coming in town and I, who do I talk to about getting tickets? Where do we all go if we want to get together and hang out? You know, where do we tailgate at? Is there a you know, because we were hearing and seeing about other universities that were inferior to Virginia Tech that had a better system in place when it came to player and alumni. Now there seems to be Sam and all the people that know and there's, you know, there's communication with the monogram club. And I just think to kind of put a bow on my point, Pride just understands. Um, and you can text him. You know, when you come, you can come talk to him. Um, it's not like you're talking to a celebrity. You can come up to him and talk to him and he knows what's going on. You know, he, he, he asked you about what's going on. I think the players that have played at Tech, um, no matter what era, you got to make sure that they still stay connected because a lot of times, you know, on those Twitter spaces that Tally's hosted and other things, we are the voice in times of dark periods. You know, that one space when we lost last year to ODU, myself, Lauren Johnson, and, and a handful of guys that played at Tech were on that, and we kind of righted the ship that night and kept the fan base afloat and made sure that everybody didn't panic. And you need guys like that because, you know, Billy knows this, Luther knows this. We were all in that locker room. We know how it feels to face adversity. And I think pride gets it, man. And, you know, I know every time I go back, I get treated like, like, like with royalty. I mean, I was just there in the spring game, man. And I saw a lot of familiar faces, man. And it was, it was, a, it was just great to go back and, and know where I can hang out and see people. And the sons of Saturday, they do a great job of having parties and, it's just a lot of guys are coming back, man. Still work to do to get everybody back, but more guys are wanting to come back. I know the NC State game, I believe that's the weekend Corey Moore goes into the uh, Hall of Fame. So you're going to see a lot of us back in town for that. We've already been planning and talking about yes, so that's going to be that's going to be a great weekend. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. And you talk about it like, you know, in the locker room, you know, on, on Twitter, you know, people always are looking for – for leaders and how leaders are reacting when things aren't going well, right? So you talked about the space after the ODU game. 
you know, having guys like you and LJ and some others that were in there, not just talking folks off the ledge, but kind of speaking some knowledge about having experienced that adversity on the field and, and having come from that and, and built something and, and, and built it in something bigger than yourself. So I think that's big. We're going to pivot a little bit here. Um, we got a, got a question that was actually put on uh, before we kind of hit, hit, hit record tonight. Um, Glenn with one in uh, at GJPVTO9 on Twitter. Uh, he, he, he reached out to us. And I thought this was a perfect one for this segment since, you know, we got, we got, guys in here that have played but sometimes fans also have these as well what are some of your game day or pre-game rituals that you had to do either before you played or before you watch a football game whether it's live or on tv and uh let, let's kick it to uh let's kick it to luther first what you got luther i'm trying to think pre-games i had a i had a couple of um i used to be a big lifesavers guy so I used to eat a couple of packs of lifesavers uh, the night before the game. So I used to tear those down the night before the game and be going. And in my first couple of years, I used to always make fairly highlights. Bernie was an All-American player between him and Marcus Ware. I just love the way they rushed the pass. So I used to make highlights um, every single game, you know, right before we go out to, to go stretching. Um, but, yeah, that's what I can – so I could fix everything and just watch those other guys' highlights before we got out. Nice. Billy, what you got? Yeah, I mean, usually usually what I was trying to do is get myself ready to handle Corey Marshall and Luther Maddie. That's what I was primarily <laughs> getting ready to do, which is, uh, I'd say, is about as challenging as, as anything. But um, two weird things that I would do um, before high school games is I would walk down and I would, uh, I'd walk like two miles to go watch Westwood High School play. And I would always uh, – whether it be before games and honestly before practice, the I'm a little weird. I'll listen to uh, movie soundtracks. So I, I was big on listening to like the Friday Night Lights uh, soundtracks and Braveheart. Um, those are the couple of things that I do now. And then I guess as a as a as a fan or as somebody going to watch, uh, I got the same route every time I leave the German club. I go on down, see uh, Rob Sapola and the guys in lot two and and get on over to uh, get on over to section five. So that was kind of my uh, kind of my routine. So, Billy, was uh, the Any Given Sunday soundtrack in that rotation? Was Al Pacino hyping you up before you went out there? Honestly, I got to tell you, that movie didn't really do it for me. I wasn't, I wasn't, really, big, I wasn't really big on that movie. I loved, I loved Friday Night Lights. I loved Miracle. I just, I, you know, being from New Jersey and seeing all the other Al Pacino movies, I'm like, look, Al Pacino, Al Pacino is supposed to be a mobster. He's not supposed to be a football. <laughs> you don't want to claw with your fingernails for the inch, though? No. In high, school, in high school, at Paramus Catholic, they always used to play this like Eminem matchup of the of the. Uh, and then at the very beginning, they had the Al Pacino speech, and it was always, you know, I'd throw my headphones on until until that part. Was over. Man, I, you ain't I watching any, any given Sunday for Al Pacino. You watching any any given Sunday for Willie Beeman? That's yeah. what you got. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Fox, man. It's, it's hard to get football movies right, man. Not a lot of not a lot of people get that uh get that work. Hundred percent. What about you, Dwight? You know, I'm a movie guy, man. So I'm I'm looking at Billy, man. I'm just tripping. I saw somebody comment about Varsity Blues, but. You know, man, um, you guys, <laughs> you guys are taking me back, man. I tell you guys how much I love being in Blacksburg and Southwest Virginia, man. Uh, Thursday nights, my last couple of years at Tech, you know, I registered in my first year. We would, uh, Derek Smith, myself, a lot of us, the linemen, we would go to, this is before it really, Christiansburg and Blacksburg really blew up. 
we would go to Outback Steakhouse and just have a dinner and just talk, especially, um, no, home or road games. We would do it before we traveled, and we would just go have dinner together, man. Uh, first, first string and second string, just talk, hang out, fellowship. Just talk about everything, man. We were so close. We're still close now. Um, and that was just something I did. And then I would just, you know, a lot of times I kept it simple, man. I love you guys that really know me, see me on Twitter or even IG or Facebook. I love to laugh. So I would kind of take my mind away from the game and find a movie. I'm a movie guy. I would watch movies, especially funny movies or just something, listen to music. I'm I'm still a music guy. And then um, I'm spiritual. I'm not overly religious, but like I would always just meditate and and, and read, read the scripture. I would pray for health. And, and, and I did that every every week before a game. That was my ritual. And the last thing I did, especially the last two years, uh, you know, I, you guys were talking about, you know, the other night, you know, or just, just now being married. My girlfriend, now my wife, been married 22 years, been together 26. You know, I met her at Tech. So, like, every night when I got to the hotel, whether we played at home or on the road, she would write me a letter, like a motivational letter. It would be in my black travel bag. So, I, you know, we checked in whether we were at Boston College or whatever, like, you know, you have your black bag I have that I kept, and I would get in my hotel and um, get settled. You know, we had meetings and stuff. And before I went to bed the night before the game, I always read a letter that she wrote me. And it would just, she she just she just knew what to say and what to write. And I, you know, I would read that letter, and I would be good. And, you know, and, and Luther and Billy know this, man. When you and when you're coached well and you're, and you're ready to play, I was never nervous. I'm not, I would be anxious, but I was never nervous, even against some tough competition because I played against some dogs. So those were my rituals, man. Dinner, you know, laughing, hanging out with the boys, and, and just getting my, my mental, my spiritual right, man. Because, you know, I think to play O-line, you got to be locked in. You can be aggressive, but you kind of got to be locked in, too. Um, so I'm, I'm I think, a- Dwight, I think that taps into something that, I think is going to be a huge difference for this team this year um, is when you're not having to worry about what your responsibilities are, what exactly you're having to do on every single play, where you line up, what your responsibility is, that is going to remove, if, if we're getting into that point where in year two of this system, and if we've simplified some of this stuff up front and all they need to worry about is going out and playing and beating the guy in front of them, I think that'll make a huge difference for this yes. group because last year from 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 the top down it just looked it looked like people were still learning exactly where to be, where to line up, how to how to handle end of clock situations and um you know coach Pry's been very transparent and I really appreciate that about him about just being like look like we're learning here are a couple things that I can get better at, here are a couple things that I have changed for, you know, myself to handle this better. Yep. And uh, if that happens from the top down and everyone's just worried about going out there and doing the best that they possibly can without having to worry about if the guy next to him is going to go the right way, I think, uh, <laughs> I, think that'll go, uh, I think that'll go a long way. Billy, that, yeah. that, that's leading into one of the questions we actually have for y'all group. So I'm going to just roll right into it. We talked about this a lot, and you guys playing line, it definitely is probably going to hit here. But we've got, you know, we wore them on maroon and orange glasses. We do. But our assessment last year, the offense was almost, it, from a schemes perspective, too many cooks. You effectively had three offensive coordinators in the room, right? Glenn had ran it. Joe Rudolph had ran his. Bowen, first time, but had been an offensive coordinator for a few games down at Penn State. And now you've got the two guys who are the offensive coordinators are gone. And so two-parter. 
do y'all agree with the assessment there were probably too many cooks in the kitchen last year when it comes to the offense? And what type of benefits do you think we'll see now that just all it's all Bowen show? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I 100% agree. I mean, it's the average only, what, 19 points a game, a little bit over 300 yards per game, both, you know, the lowest in the ACC last year. I think a part of that is because they had too many cooks in the kitchen. Also, to Billy's point, guys just didn't know what they wanted out there. Right for Bourne to be able to talk to Wells like on a daily basis, and he there's no middleman in between the communications. I think these guys improved drastically. Um, in connection to you know the guys that came in at receiver, obviously we'll, t- we'll touch on that a little bit later. I think with all that coming together, you, you should be offense this year. But when you have most talking, and you know you got we all played a tough one game when we were younger. Um, you know once it gets from point A to point, I get it. It's just kind of swirled down a little bit. So to kind of get from you know, him talking straight to Wells on a day-to-day basis, I think that would be big for this offense. Look, it's not – I'm not I'm not comparing Coach Bowen and uh, Coach Glenn and, and Coach Rudolph to Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, but. at the end of the day, there are only – you know, you can only have so many opinions. There are only so many basketballs, and there are only so many microphones on the sideline to, to have guys analyzing stuff. And, and what really bothers me – because people do this all the time, and, and there's no way that I'm going to get on a podcast without talking about some of the ridiculous things that the that, that Hokie fans do, is the offensive line is poor last year, and then the conversation shifts to, well, Coach Rudolph sucks. Well, Coach Rudolph has coached nine All-Americans. He's produced nine draft picks. He was an offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh during James Conner's 2014 campaign. I think it's really simple. Too many cooks in the kitchen, too many different philosophies trying to fit them all together at once. And then everybody, if it wasn't Coach Rudolph's fault, it was Coach Bowen's fault, or it was Grant Wells' fault, it isn't one person's fault at all. Um, it's just understanding what we need to do and understanding the guy next to you is going to get the job done. Um, and on the quarterback thing, everybody wants to guess who it is. Look, if it's Grant Wells, he's going to be better than he was last year. Go ahead and watch some of his Marshall film. He's going to be better. If it's going to be Kieran Drones, he's going to be the most athletic quarterback we've had in a long time. If it's both, then it's both. But uh, I do think that we're going to take a, a step in the right direction. There, there's no, there's no way you can go backwards. So I think we're, I think we're going to take, a, I think we're going to take a step in the right. That's direction. fair. That's well, fair. Well, Dwight, what do you got? I, I just felt. I mean, Billy and, and Luther made great points. I'm, it's, you know, Billy's point is well taken. Um, I just feel like when I watched the offense last year, I don't always do it, but I do it a lot during games. I live tweet, and I would tweet sometimes. Like I remember we were playing the game. I don't know who it was. It might have been Georgia Tech or somebody. And I was like, that's a great call. But the backside offensive line, a guard tackling tight end missed their blocks. And people were, you know, on Twitter, like, that's a terrible. Will you call that? I'm like, if you go back, I saw it live because my son and my kids and my friends laugh at me because when I watch the game, I watch the old line and D line. And then I look at the offense, the receivers and all of that. And I would always tweet like, you know, gosh, our interior got killed. NC State game, we were getting destroyed in the, in the interior when it came to blitz pickup. But people, to Billy's point, were blaming Wells. So when I came on Twitter space, I kept saying, guys, you got to look at the whole picture, but it's not natural for the average to casual fan to watch the offensive line. And they, it's just quick to blame them on let, you know, when it's a holding call, but we don't look at the whole thing. Yes, there were too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. And on top of it, you know, similar to, you know, what I've been saying for, from day one, the two things that stood out with me with tech over the last handful of years is no identity 
and not knowing how to win and make game-winning plays. And, you know, we can talk about all these coaches winning the press conferences and kissing babies and, and going to tournaments and, you know, doing the um, electric slide at the fish fries. But <laughs> players got to make plays. Listen, yeah. Lu- yeah. you talking about Luther Maddie. Luther Maddie and Corey Marshall, I remember, shout out to Corey Marshall, they were dogs. Daddy Nicholas, all those guys, we can go down the list on the O-line and D-line. You know, Jonathan McLaughlin, um, he was, you know, people talking about that Trey, Trey, uh, Trey Edmonds run against Alabama when he ran for 70 yards. Go look at the kickout block Jonathan McLaughlin had that sprung Trey. And, and Jonathan was a freshman playing yep. against Alabama. So those are small things I look at that people look at Trey Edmonds now. And he was a great back during those times at Tech. But the old line was good. You know, when you got guys like Jonathan and Wyatt Teller, it makes a play call easier because you have players that know what they're doing. And, and sometimes, in many cases, football players got to be plays. Uh, look at the West Virginia game. We had West Virginia. The defense was playing great on Thursday night, the first quarter, into the second. We were, we were West Virginia, that powerful offense, they were sputtering. We had momentum. We had three nine routes, drop passes, including one of them hit the receiver in the helmet. The helmet. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so if you get those three touchdowns, you're up 21 nothing. It changes yep. the – so you can criticize and whatever. I'm not giving the um the all, the coaches a pass. I'm saying that Billy and, and Luther are right, but I also feel like the players have to make plays. Um, you know, it's just the way it is. And you know, I think to to this point, we'll have a better understanding of what the identity is when the season starts because this is year two. And yep. you know, and and you said last night on my show, Curtis, that. 40% of the roster from last year has been turned over. You have more guys coming in, um, even though it's year two, that actually will have a better idea. And I said I said this on many platforms I was on. I felt like the newer guys, the young guys, were more confident than the guys that had been there the last three or four years when it came to making plays on both sides of the ball. To that point, Dwight, it, the entire season, there was one game that was kind of the defense had the problem that the offense had all season was the defense is not getting enough credit for how well they played last year for the fact that they were on the field for 65 to 75% of the game (laughs) every game. They were on the field a lot. Like, the only game, really, that the defense didn't hold up their end of the bargain was Pittsburgh Mm because Israel Abanacanda did whatever he wanted. And it was only about four plays that game. Exactly. (laughs) At at the end of the day, like – I, I really think that uh, what Virginia Tech can hang their hat on is kind of what made them great in the 2000s and into, you know, the around 2010 was find a way where the offense can stay on the field long enough, put up enough points and rely on your defense, which has a lot of talent. And I th- I, I'm on record for saying I think Coach Marv is going to be a star. Um, just based upon his the way that he carries himself, um, he lo- he did a great job in the Liberty game. If the offense can avoid three and out, three and out, three and out, yeah. and give the defense a chance to catch their breath, that's going to make a tremendous difference next year if they can just find a way to do that. Facts, definitely, man. It, it's it's great, man, to have this panel to have so many like educated, yes, analysis coming in, man. It's it's awesome. I'm sitting here. Giddy, you know what I'm saying? Just <laughs> listening that listening that what y'all are saying. We're gonna go to something a little different where we want to talk about, you know. I think Dwight said talking about year two, uh, how we need to look in year two, um, closing out, uh, winning plays, things like that. 
uh, the month of November. So the end of the season looks like we got road trips to Louisville, Chestnut Hill, and uh, Lane Stadium North. You know, we we go play those games at the end of the year, and um, we're not favored to win right now on some of those games, but they look like pretty winnable games if you look at it on paper. Not teams that we should be scared of. Um, I want to say, how do y'all feel about Coach Pry uh, closing out on win on winnable games, wrapping up this year, which will be his year too? Um, you know, I, 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 I every year, <laughs> he, even when I play, but especially now that I'm doing all this stuff in the media and 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 you know, running my mouth and tweeting and doing all different things I do. Always, I'm not, and this is not you, Charlie. I just laugh at some of my followers and fans that tag me. They say, Oh, these in this schedule, this is easy. I, I have never, there was probably a couple of games in my five years at Tech, um, even as a red shirt when I was just backing up people, not going to play when I was okay, yeah, this will be a blowout. But it was very few. There is, you know, until Virginia Tech, this team, this era, and, and I love Pride, but until they understand and learn how to win um there is no such thing as a game that that they should walk in and be like yes yeah, a gimme i think one thing i remember when virginia tech went into the acc in 2004 in 2003 they had a loaded team this is a team that featured jake grove ernest wilford brian randall i mean vegas robinson that team KJ. yeah kj, KJ. Kevin Jones, one of them just arguably we can i'm not gonna argue with you guys but you can argue the most talented team on paper in Virginia Tech history. Mm -hmm. They started off the year amazing. They won at Texas A&M back when you did not win at Texas A&M. Okay? They beat LSU. They were loaded. And then that year they crumbled, losing to Boston College at home. They did beat UVA, but they crumbled down the season, losing to Pitt, losing to West Virginia. They went into the ACC in 2004, picked the finish near the bottom. And Beamer, every game, and even to the season, said, we're going to attack the scratch and claw to win every game. And he said it even when they won a winning streak. He kept saying it when they, you know, after they, they, they scared USC and they were two and two after losing the NC State at mm -hmm. home. He kept saying, we got a scratch and scratch and scratch and claw. And I get it now and I got it then, but I get it even more now what he was saying that, yes, we have talent, but we have not proven anything because they were coming off that disappointing 03 season. And this is a team in 04 that had, um, talent at receivers. I mean, you talk, you're talking about Eddie Royal playing as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. Talking about, um, what's my guy, man, uh, that played everything, a utility guy. Man, he coached, he was a DC defensive coordinator before he left. Hamilton. You know what Justin. I'm saying? Justin Hamilton. Yeah. They had so many guys, right? point I'm getting at, and you know, I'll let the, the rest of the panel talk on this, is that I, you know, Tally, I feel like Tech, you know, can definitely finish strong, but the one thing I've always said is that you need leaders, and you need guys to exemplify and ex be an extension of what Coach Pry, Coach Marv, J.C. Price, and those guys want them to do. You, you need guys to take control of this team to, and, and to learn how to win. I think we will know more on how they will finish given how they start. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, if they take and approach every game like they're being disrespected or no one believes in them and they have to prove themselves every week, you're going to see a very, very hungry football team. You know, because what I did, you know, was a result of what J.C. Price and them taught me how to do. Jay Hager and those guys. And then I took that torch and I ran with it. And then years later, 
you know, Luther and those guys and all those guys that came after me, they continued that because they knew it was expected and they carried the torch. Even if we didn't meet each other till later in their career, they understood what it meant. I think these guys are learning what it means to wear that helmet and understand what it means to walk to that tunnel. There's a lot of great things at Virginia Tech in that locker room and around that stadium, around that campus that these young men are benefiting from but did not know what it meant to do. You know what I'm saying? To put on, I think the benefit of having guys on that staff, even got like Xavier DB and those guys teaching them and they understand, I think, you know, you understand what it means to go up to Boston College and take care of business and go down to UVA and be the UVA team that, you know, we typically beat, but they got to go do it. So yep. if I look at it right now, ask me that same question after the first four games of the season. All right. I mean, All you right. know, yeah. No taken. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, about- uh, go ahead. yeah, no, I was going to say, I think it's uh, absolutely, it's, it's very important. I mean, obviously, you look at, look at what happened last year, right? There's just so many, at least three, maybe four games in which Tech literally had to bag their hands to win that football game. They, they just let it slip out. Rather, it was um, Miami, NC State, uh, Georgia Tech even. Like, Tech could have won those football games, but again, they don't mm-hmm. know to win. Um, you know, it's a, it's a younger team, but I think it's going to be a combination of the coaches and some leaders setting up. Um, I think back to my freshman year when, when we went to the ACC Championship, went to the Sugar Bowl, we had leaders like Eddie Whitley. I think he's really no people don't really realize how important Eddie Whitley was to that football team. He was a fiery guy. Uh, every single practice, he, he's been all out. Like he's just I can't speak how enough of Eddie Whitley. Um, Eddie Whitley, Bruce Taylor, but then you also had guys, players that were on staff like Cornell Brown that can pull you to the side, and when you, you know, you're fucking up, he can kind of have a chat with you. And make mm-hmm. sure you get back on, on point. So I think all that stuff's important. And until Tech finds a way to kind of add those pieces and put it all together, you know, that's it's gonna take a while for them to put the football program back on pace. But it comes to them winning the football games. I mean, Boston College they call a three and eight season. Um, I think they have a pretty solid quarterback in Louisville. I think they're gonna actually be pretty good this year with the transfers that they brought in. Um, so although Tech's not favored in those football games, I think they are winnable. If Tech can find a way to win those football games and you know be above five hundred, you step going in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think it's crucially important for every fan to not. Everybody does this exercise. the The schedule comes out, and you do the W, you do the L, mm-hmm. you do the W, you do the L. You go down the whole schedule. Um, what I'm really looking for out of this football team is, yes, I think going to a bowl game is going to be monu- It would be monumental for this group. I think. You know, I'm going to at some point, I'm sure on this podcast and later on in the year, give a give a schedule prediction and predict if we're going to win such and such game or whatever. But at the end of the day, what I'm more interested in is just organization and less chaos. And again, Coach Coach Prize done a phenomenal job of owning some of the things that he can do better and owning some of the things that his staff can do better. The the staff that we saw from the television broadcast of the old Dominion game, which was chaos, it was unorganized, it was <laughs> kind of all over the place, you saw it get better to yeah, the Liberty game. game. Yep. And again, we talk about some of those games that you know we were in a position to win and didn't win. Did some of that come down to execution? Yes. Coach Price said that he's really focused on having more competitive uh, competitive periods in practice making sure that that's extremely important. But we were in position to win those games against teams who were monumentally more talented than Virginia Tech. And look, Virginia Tech has has beaten more talented teams than them, but the disparity that there was last year was so wide 
and they were still in positions to be fighting and clawing. And that was one of the things I was most proud of of this team last year is there wasn't really a game that you looked at and you're like, our team quit this game. True. They may have lost. They may have gotten out schemed. They may have ran out of gas towards the end because we're, you know, one deep at basically every single position. But I never saw us come in and just completely quit and let go of the rope. So, you know, one play goes another way. One play goes another way. Um, your record's probably a little bit different, but that's what I'm looking for. Eliminate pre-snap penalties, look more organized, and uh, and finish the job. And uh, I'm more concerned with that than I am we better win this amount of games. Yeah, Billy, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that because it's all the little things. Go back to the NC State game. Everybody go back. Ten pre-snap penalties. I got three offensive linemen on here. How many gasters would y'all ran if you had did ten pre-snap penalties? We'd still, at we'd still be year? running them. We'd still, still, still be running them. But yeah. think about that game. How many pre-snap penalties and cut them in half? I probably win NC State. You think about the Georgia Tech game with the fumble issues. And I know mm. fumbles happen. Luther, you, you've been – you've played defense your whole life. Defensive players make plays. But think about when Keyshawn fumbled that ball. Like, we're, we're there. We're up points. If we kick a field goal, it's out of reach. If we punch it in, they have absolutely no shot. But we fumble. It's those little things. And like you said, Billy, I love what you just said there about the chaos. Odie, you looked chaotic. And every week it was a little bit better, a little bit better. And every week we started being more competitive. It didn't look as chaotic. Yes, we won a couple games. So – I, I love hearing it from all you guys, knowing that you guys, again, played on that field. Now, I'm going to pivot to something real quick just because I, I like this question this gentleman brought up, and I'm wondering if it's Anthony Harris we all know of. But in y'all's opinion, Billy, I'll let you, let you start out the gate with this one. What true freshman are you expecting to get some PT this year, offense or defense? I know, I know. You guys are gonna hate me for doing this. No, I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Mose Phillips because he's who oh. everybody's talking about. And I'm not, I'm not at practice, so I'm, I'm not see, I, I'm not seeing him. My, I'm gonna answer this question with, with saying this. And I was asked this a ton by national, uh, by national media coming up and saying, Pop Watson, man, is, is Pop Watson, is Pop Watson gonna play quarterback? I think Pop Watson is tremendously talented. I really do. I think he's going to have an opportunity to play. I think he's going to play in the future. But the idea that he should get thrown in there this year at his mm-hmm. size with no time getting familiar with the playbook, no. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage everybody to pump the brakes a little bit on that. I think he's going to be a good player moving into the future. He's got some weight to gain. He's got some understanding to get down with the playbook. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a non-answer, and I'm really excited for Pop Watson, but I don't think his time is quite yet. Got it. Luther, Luther, what you got? Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen a whole lot of these guys, so I can't really give you guys a great answer. Um, but I know that there's been some talk about one of those young safeties, um, maybe kind of getting some PT here, and maybe not starting, but getting a lot of playing time. Maybe guys like like Moe's Phillips. Supposedly he's been looking pretty decent out there. So I think he'd be a pick kind of just on the outside looking in. Um, but I'm a player, you know, that really stands out as a – as a freshman, be making a big contribution this year. All right, Mr. Vic. I think I know. I think I know what he's gonna say. I just want to say it though. I think he's gonna say number Caleb twenty. Caleb Woodson. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Woodson. I've been on him, man. Listen, I'm not even gonna go into it because I said it last night. But for the respect of your show, man, I'm, I mean, he's 
I, you know, I saw him um, in high school, his last junior senior year. Um, he was, you know, already, you know, looking at stuff, the scheme and, and talking to coaches. I mean, he, if you see him, you know, physically he passed the eye test, but I just, I just love his mindset and he's a worker. Um, I, 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 I can see him kind of midway through the season, man, forcing himself into the lineup, barring something crazy. I just, I'm excited for him, man. And he looks like, you know, one of those Virginia Tech guys, like, you know, it looks like Devon Morgan, he, you know, Cam Chancellor. You know, one thing about, like, Virginia Tech defensive guys, they always had that look, certain DBs that came down in the box and also cover. But he's also more of a linebacker build, too. But that's my guy. But, I mean, I'm like Luther, too, man. I think, you know, there's always a player, too, like the kid you guys were talking about last night, Curtis. He was a redshirt freshman last year, the linebacker that came on strong the Georgia Tech game. He had a tip pass, awesome. interception touchdown. Awesome. See, those are the guys that, you know, will come kind of week three, week four um, that will surprise you. But right now, my, my surprise that people are going to be talking about, I, I stand by. I said the same thing, you know, about Stroman and Eddie Royal when they came to Tech. So I got a little bit of a good track record. <laughs> well, I say, yeah. I say I think that they pay attention to Dwight because uh, – I've been seeing Caleb Woodson on all types of media stuff lately. I think I got on Facebook and he was like, it was a picture, big picture of him like kissing his mom or something like that at, at media day <laughs> or family day. And then just a clip came out today where he was absolutely annihilated like a, a, a tight end. Yes, so, yeah, so I'm like, damn, is they listening to Dwight? They trying to get him, some, <laughs> they trying to get him on camera, but, but he, he looks, he does look the part. He does. Uh, looks the part, man. He, 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 he looks the part. I seen him when I went to the spring game, not to cut you off, but when I went to the spring game and they were announcing like all the freshmen and stuff, he was on the field just like plain clothes. And I was like, God damn, who is that? And when they called his name, like he was big, like he was a big, yes, a big man. dude. And I'm thinking, I looked at Brian and I was like, he's supposed to be at prom. Like, <laughs> he's supposed to be thinking about like, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, I ain't going to get too explicit, but I'm like, he's supposed to be at prom, man. He ain't supposed to be thinking about like playing football in college. And he just, man, he just looks like a college football player already. And uh, just that, the, the, uh, you know, kind of to pivot a little bit with that question that we put up. Who, who gave us that question? You said Anthony? Anthony, Anthony Harris. Harris. Anthony, good, great question, man. But uh, I'll say um, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, um, uh, some of those young DBs, man, uh, you know, even Braylon Johnson, you know, all of those guys, when you start talking about just football players, uh, when you talk about offensive line, it's hard to get in. The, it's hard to get on the field as a freshman. As defensive line, yet you, you ain't, you're too light in the ass to, to come in as a freshman. You got to be real good to get in and just have natural ability to play in the trenches that early. Uh, but you see a lot of times wide receiver or cornerback, like they can get put in the fire sometimes just because a lot of times that position just relies on your natural ability. You know, you're going to go, you're going to go through some growing pains. I think we kind of seen that with uh, Delane last year. He, he was in the right position. A lot of times he just wasn't quite strong enough to maybe wrestle the ball from somebody or maybe to get somebody down with a tackle, but his technique was there. That's why everybody's so excited about it. I think we'll see another one of our young DBs that maybe have to step up, you know, when somebody needs a breather to just get in and get some PT. So I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody like a Braylon Edwards or, you know, a, a Fleming or one of those guys get in. Dante, love it. Same yeah, Dante, love it. Love it. Yep. 
and love it's already you already kind of look to and you make the point about that tally it's also the build and i think all you guys who played y'all can y'all know what y'all like some of these corners come in and you kind of look and you compare them to your teammates and say hey he's he's like already there he's not he's not that far off making the comparisons like you just did to the offensive line like that like they, those those safeties and those you know corners and stuff not that far off compared to the other stuff where you have to gain mass. And I'm sure I got three guys below me here. I'm sure. And, and Mr. Siegel up when he was at Hampton, Sydney. All right. Y'all need to eat. Y'all just need to eat because y'all ain't got enough weight on you. Right. You need to eat, but yeah. you need to eat the right stuff too. I mean, that, that that's just, yeah. that's just as big. Right that nutrition center is doing it too. Yep. Down there. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can be a, uh, you know, John McLaughlin and get a, uh, starting role on the offensive line right at the gate. So you know sometimes what, you, you know got to come in Jonathan, there. And, uh, Jonathan had the size, Brian, but he also – and Billy knows this, man. Um, and I, I don't – you know, I know your listeners and viewers may disagree, but people give a lot of credit to the quarterback and the safety. But imagine having to block J.C. Price, Cornell Brown, Corey Moore, John Engelberger, or even Corey Marshall, and they're moving, and the scheme's changing, and they're talking – and the quarterback's chalking. He's doing check with me's. And you got the crowd cheering. And I got to make man. sure this three technique that moves to a one, now I got to help the center and get to the next level. So Jonathan had a high IQ. Mm-hmm. I remember I met him. I was there. Uh, Might have been for a game, and I talked to him on the sidelines when we introduced each other to ourselves to each other. And uh, I was a fan because I was like to play at Tech at that time as a true freshman, special, bro. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, Cause I can tell you right now, I called my dad and said, "Dad, I I'm, I want to red shirt." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I want so to red shirt." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to call John Quickfeet. The nickname for me, his first couple of years, he had that. You know, and Billy knows that he started during practicing. You know, his pass protection was was awesome. And then there was an attitude like, "You know, I'm not gonna F it. I'm just do what I got to do." Like he was nonchalant, but also smart. Like he didn't really get too too. Played loose, and I think that helped him a big time freshman year. Yeah, guys that can play with the even kill but still have that dog in them. That's a that's a special trait. That's a special trait to have. Um, Let's we're gonna wrap this up here. Um, We've got two generations of Hokie football alumni on this segment right now. One was a leader when the program rose to prominence. One was a leader as Coach Beamer's career wrapped up. The other saw firsthand regime change in 2016. With that experience in mind, I'd like to give each of you let, let me hear one thing about this team or staff that gives you optimism for 2023 and maybe one thing that concerns you at this point still going into the season. And Billy, I'll let you lead on this one. Positives are easy. Um, Coach Pry is tremendous. He's easy to root for. Um, one of the things that he did this year that uh, I wanted to see him do in year two that we missed out on year one was was attack the portal. And he did a phenomenal job of attacking the portal this offseason. Another year of building relationships with fans, coaches, alumni. Uh, and for what this staff lacks in experience at some spots, they make up in recruiting uh, get-it-ness, uh, <laughs> if, if we want to throw that term around, um, and uh, personality. And the level of talent at Virginia Tech has has elevated. Uh, at the end of the day, who you're going against in practice, one-on-one, ones-on-twos, uh, if you're not getting a good look and the best look that you see every single week is the guy that you're lining up against, um, that's not a recipe for success. So I think that that moves yeah. the needle a lot. Yeah. My biggest fear and concern 
Um, I mean, number one is is conference realignment. It's it's hard not to talk about Ooh. that. Um, that's not something that the coaches can control. It's not something that the players can control. Um, but that's kind of the one pressing thing, I guess, that everyone's thinking about. But what I'm looking at this season is the stretch of Marshall, Pittsburgh, Florida State, Wake Forest, back to back to back to back. Um, in the moment, how do they handle that? Those are four really good teams. For a lot of people, we're going to play Marshall, and people are going to wake up and look at the schedule and be like, oh, we're playing Marshall. Whatever. Marshall has great defense. Marshall mm-hmm. is a really good program. They are very talented. Um, that's going to be no cupcake. Pittsburgh, they're well t- – I know you guys said in the last segment you're not Narduzzi guys. Narduzzi's doing a phenomenal he job is. at Pittsburgh. He's he recruiting is. well. Yeah. He's like Marcus Smart, man. He's the guy that you you hate when he's on the other team, but if he's your guy, you love that dude. Um, Florida State, obviously, playoff contention everybody's on florida state and then wake forest how are they going to handle that in the moment and if you come out of it with being 500 fantastic but if you struggle through that how do you come out the other end from the bye week against syracuse yeah are you going to be able to handle adversity and get back on the tracks because you saw it last year there was a tremendous stretch of just flailing and trying to get it together are they going to be able to get through that stretch admirably and then keep it going after that bye week. Can we see some sort of consistency? Because I think that's the biggest challenge uh, stretch that we're going to face is those four games, you get the bye week, and then you're right back into it with ACC play. So I wouldn't say it's fear. I just think that window of games is going to teach us a lot about where this program is headed. Luther, Luther, what you got? Yeah, so so for me, I feel whole about the offensive side. I mean – just watching that play last year is just just miserable, right? It's a guy, and I, you know, but just watching the offense, I, I could barely finish watching the football game. I hate to say it like yeah. that, but it's no, I'm just right. being honest. So, <laughs> right um, you know, you. I think for me, I feel a whole lot better about what the Billy kind of touched on a little bit earlier, the additions with the transfer portal. So I'm really big on Allie Jennings. I think he's going to be an all-conference type of player. He's going to receiver. Um, then you add Felton, and you also add Lane at receiver. So – I think comparing this year to last year, offense that's going to be a, a big step forward. Um, and I think them just finding identity as far as whether it's zone blocking or, uh, you know, getting the ball down the field more vertically. I think them actually trying to identify those things and actually focusing on what they are as an offense, that makes them feel a whole lot better opposed to them kind of scrambling and trying to figure things out. So that being said, I feel a lot better about the offense. Um, I'm a bit concerned with the Mike linebacker situation. I know we have two really good guys battling out i think will be you know a good fit but that they're not kind of solidified i think mike's a very important position to kind of have in that type of defense and with those guy appearance um and the lack of depth i should say with between mike and will i'm kind of concerned there just because that tech defense did struggle quite a bit of open field tackling um once you got to that second level um i think they'll be better but I don't feel great about linebacker. I know Tisdale's been there for quite a while. I liked him earlier in his career. kind of took a step back. Um, at linebacker, I'm a bit concerned there. I'm, I'm hoping they can kind of, you know, pick up and do a little bit better than what they did last year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a spot that, you know, there's some question marks, especially, you know, you know, for, for, for all that he did during the time there, you know, Dak's definitely a leader back there and mm-hmm. getting everybody where they need to be. So losing that yeah. leadership is going to be interesting to see who steps up there. Dwight, what you got for this one? You know, um, the first part of your question about what I'm excited for, you know, 
right? Is that the first part? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, essentially, man, I'm excited, man, because from day one, you know, I knew Pry was the right guy. Um, I knew it. I, I just knew it. You know, for the record, I've said this on you guys. I've been on y'all show a lot. I've said it on other shows, including the Suns and Saturday. I was rooting for Fuente. I wanted Fuente and his staff to win because I'm a Hokey first. I think now I look back on it, it's tough to replace a legend. Um, it just is. Um, but I, I just feel like Pride gets it. You know, it's tough because I know a lot of former coaches and guys wanted to to be on that staff with him, including to my brother Ty Washington, Shane Graham. I know Stein Spring made it known he wanted to come back. So that shows you how much guys love Pride, that coach with him and against him. I think the fact that he went away, as I mentioned earlier in your show, and went to Penn State and and saw how it was done there in, the, in the, probably arguably the best conference helps Tech tremendously because it was similar to when Weaver got to Tech as an AD. He had been at Florida and Penn State, so he saw what it took to take Tech to the next level as we entered the, enter the 2000s. Um, I just think, you know, it's, I'm very optimistic. I knew he was going to recruit well. I knew he was going to get guys not just the 757 guys, but, you know, Virginia and New Jersey and D.C., Maryland, that mid-Atlantic in the South. You know, I think we're only getting started there. What I'm afraid or what worries me is not the X's and O's. He's got a very competent staff. I love Billy's point about Maul being a star. I completely agree. Pearson Prelo has been one of the best football minds I've ever been around, along with um, Torian Gray. Even though he's no longer coaching with us, he's down in South Carolina. I remember the great defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, called Pearson Prelo when he coached with the Washington Redskins, now commanders. He said Pearson Prelo was his smartest player. This is a pro, an NFL defensive coordinator. That shows you what kind of pedigree Pearson Prelo has. I don't worry about our staff. I don't worry about recruiting. My concern, Billy touched on this, is not the future of Virginia Tech, but just making sure we have the best fan base and I know people say this, but we have a top five, top three fan base. The fan base is so good, it got us a Sugar Bowl berth in 2011. We were 11 and two. We finished behind Clemson. We, were, we earned the right based on the credibility and the record, but our fan base travels so well. Our fan base deserves a championship, but we have a very sometimes impatient and irrational fan base. And my fear is that people aren't patient. Because we're in a, in a stage now with the NIL, the portal. I, I don't want us to become <laughs> so impatient. And if, if this takes longer than expected, what do we do? Because, you know, people look at, look what Duke did last year. It's almost like, you know, you're expected to win. I'm just concerned. Because I, I look at, I know it's, it's tough, but I look at UVA and even Pitt. Billy, I'm with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know y'all don't like Pitt. I respect Pitt. I got a lot of heat last year because I tweeted about Narduzzi. <laughs> what, what Tech should be doing, right? But here's yeah. the thing. They were patient with Narduzzi. Mm -hmm. Look what he's doing now. Yeah. Patience is not fashionable in, in our generation, now this era of sports and life in general. But I think yeah. patience is something we got to have. And on the flip side, I mentioned UVA. You know, I played during the golden era, the UVA Tech rivalry. But since then, and I'm not taking shots at them, but other than the Perkins year, they've been irrelevant for a very, very, very long time. And last year, like Luther Maddie said, for the first time in my life affiliated with Tech, when I watched Tech play, I was praying for the game to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I mean, and that's, that's 
it was it was tough to watch. And and I realized how irrelevant we were despite having that fan base. So my fear is that this doesn't get done. All this work prize doing that we don't turn a corner and get back to what we sh- and exceed what we used to be. I don't I don't want to be irrelevant. I live in the DMV. My dad and father-in-law are diehard Washington Commanders fans, and they live more on the glory days and trying to beat the Cowboys and actually winning games. I'm like, y'all are so bad that y'all, y'all, y'all look forward to beating the Cowboys and the Eagles and not actually being relevant. That's how bad y'all become. I do not want tech to be like, we're going to beat UVA this year. That's not the yeah. goal. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the era where we were both ranked, we were both good, and we were going to go to a big-time bowl and have a chance to maybe play for a championship. So it's a long answer, but that's what I, – I secretly worry about that sometimes. I do not want us to – if we lose Labor Day night, bro. <laughs> <laughs> stay, 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 stay where you are, man, as far as where you're at mindset-wise. Uh I just want to. I'm going to go to something a little different. I was just sitting here looking at a couple things, but uh, I think uh, we talked about it on one of the other segments. Josh Fuga said, uh, "I don't know the direct quote, but he said uh, Virginia Tech is back. The lunch pill is back. We're back. Something like that uh, at, at um, uh, ACC Media Day. Uh, Media Day. So um, again, I, I'll tell you kind of my answer. And I want to just hear from from y'all what you think. Uh, I don't think that we're back. You know what I'm saying? As far as back to what Virginia Tech is, but I was sitting here looking at um looking at uh D'Angelo Hall um uh, just highlights. You know you can type in D'Angelo Hall highlights from Virginia Tech. And the reason that I did is because Delane is wearing uh uh Monsor Delane is wearing number four this year. And I don't know if nobody's prepped the young man on what number four means in that backfield, but like I watched a play. We was playing Miami where, where D Hall comes up and he strips yeah. the. He comes up to make a form tackle. Give he it. Strips the, he strips the me. ball Bosco. and takes it and goes and scores. And not only does he take it and score, it's like it was swag when he did it. Like once he got to the when he got to the when he got to the end zone, he knew what to do. Like he knew how to put on a show. You know, I look at another. Uh, it was another pick. I, 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 it may have been West Virginia. He takes the pick and he's pointing people out. Hey, you block him, you block him. You like he knew what to do with the ball. And it's been so long since we've seen Virginia Tech just be dominant like that on the back end. And then you have the, the Luther Maddies on the line that's making eight again. I'm going back to it. ACC uh ACC defensive line. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, all ACC defensive line to get back to that lunch bell defense would be great. Um, uh, what do y'all need to see to to say we back? I think to your point, uh, it's that confidence, right? Like, I think when the highlights, like those guys have been in the program probably two or three years and they're making plays and they're just out there having fun, right? And I, mm-hmm. I know Billy said this earlier in the, in the, on the show, like a lot of times guys are kind of just timid, you know? Like, when I, I know when I was playing, it was 11 hats to the football and I get a late hit every now and again. So, hey, I, may, I just want to jump on a pile and just touch the running back. I just want to put my hand on you, right? Like, that was my goal. And I kind of got that from guys like Bruce Taylor and and James Gale. Like you always want to finish and you know get to the get to the ball carrier. So I think it's more of that guys just being more confident in their ability, um, mm-hmm. being looser, right? I think playing. I talk about defense so much. I think you know, you just win games. I'm just being a bit biased there. You got to be. You got to just be a dog. Well, I know it sounds like it's you know 
a football pep talk or whatever. But it's true. Like, you got to get a living hassle of football, and you got to be out there. You just want to lay, lay your pants out. So I think they get to the point where they're feeling confident, they're playing looser, and they trust their teammate. Um, then they can come back and they can actually, you know, be more confident with that lunch pail and do those type of things to be a dominant mm-hmm. football team. I don't mean to go uh, to go yoga. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to go like Yoda Buddhist culture on you here, but at it. the end of the day, I think uh, one of the things we got to realize is everybody's concerned with like, are we back yet or are we not? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a yes or no thing. It's if you're lost in the forest and you don't know what direction you're going, you know what your next step is going to be. And I think tech just needs to find a way each week, each year, each month to just get better as they go along. And uh, if they can stay focused on that and stop having this thing over their head of like, are we back? Are we not? Yeah. Are we who we supposed to be? Just just improve day to day. And I think that you can say confidently with the way that this offseason has gone, the way the recruiting has gone, and the way that the conversation around Virginia Tech has been, that we are headed in the right direction. And um, when Virginia Tech is back, everyone's going to know they're back. Yes, they we will. don't have to. We, we're not going to have to get on here yeah. and, and talk about what percentage of back we are. Um, <laughs> you just got yeah. to walking it, in the right direction. Is this one of those things? If you have to ask, you're not. Like yeah. if, you, if you're if you're having to ask, are you back? You're not back yet. Like, just don't think yeah. about eating the whole whale, man. Take <laughs> take a bite at a time. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. uh, you know, you just got to go in the right direction. I think I think we're doing that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm with Billy. I think. Uh, I think young dudes, I get it. I like the confidence and we're back, lunch pill. That's cool. That's fun. Um, I, you know, I know I'm an OG. I, I'm, I'm fine with that that mindset. But, again, um, you will know Tech is back when it's a close game and you have no doubt that the defense or the special teams, the offense is going to make a play. <clears throat> You'll know that. You Like when D. Hall, Miami came into Blacksburg that night in 2003 on a 30-something, 37-38 game winning mm-hmm. streak. D'Angelo Hall said on Tuesday during the press conference, D'Angelo was my boy. That's my brother. He, he played after me. He said, yo, I think Miami's beatable. Mind you, they just came. They're coming in there. They won a national championship. They're on a 30-something-plus game winning streak. Yep. He said, I don't think this Miami game team is that good. I don't think they're that strong. And he, he said it, and Beamer got mad. He put a muzzle on him that week. Not put it. <laughs> Beamer uh, said, stop yeah. talking. So D. Hall went out there and showed you what he meant. He set the yeah. tone at the beginning of the game. Eric Green got a pick six. They made Brock Berlin look like he should have been playing in the Lego League, okay? You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, they showed us. I remember watching games with my wife, and it, when we in 2007, after the Virginia Tech tragedy that affected us forever, we were in a dog fight with Chris Johnson in East Carolina. East mm-hmm. Carolina has been a rival. It was a dog fight. We were the Smith. better team, but we were flat because of all the emotion. First yep. game back, Lee Corso game days there. She looks at me and says, defense has got to score. The next series, Macho Harris gets a pick, takes it, you know, we're at the uh, and takes it in for a touchdown. That's how you knew Virginia Tech was back. Even in 2015, 2014, I was looking this up just to make sure I was right. 2013, we went eight and five. Those were lean years, down years, and we were still eight, nine, seven wins. Even after that debacle against Wake Forest, the three overtime game, we're doing the game like this, and we had to beat UVA. UVA was, was a solid team that year. Yep. Um, yeah. They were trying to get to the bowl game. That's the game before the game. We both in the midfield, and it was about to be a fight. A lot of a lot of talking. Virginia Tech won that game. Um, Bucky Hodges had the game winning touchdown. He also had the long catch. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, again, I can keep doing this. It's not really about so much 
you know, the historical perspective is just knowing your program. Like right now, as much as I love, and you guys know how much I love Pry, um, I'm still wondering and waiting to see who we are right now under his regime. Because I don't really know our identity yet. Because everything I just described historically was the Beamer era and Bud Foster era, okay? I'm waiting to see this new era, you know what I'm saying? So we will know when we're back when, you know, we're three and two or four and one and we know, okay, it's a close game. What should we expect? Because everything I was describing, we knew in a close game, somebody was going to make a play defensively, offensively on special teams. And that's kind of what it means to be back because we knew that could happen. That Um, can happen. I I think what it is is – and, Billy, you kind of alluded to this. We're not going to know we're back. It's just going to be organic. We're going to walk out that force, and it's going to feel like it did for me 15 years ago, 2007, 2008. And it's like, you know, my buddy from San Diego is calling me. Billy's hitting me up in the DM. Tally and Brian are texting. Dwight's texting. Luther's in the DM. And you're going to just feel it. It, it's not going to be that moment. Now, I, now it's not going to be like a moment, but I think it will be a moment. And when I say that, because if you tell me we're four and one and we go down to Florida State, and I'm just just hypothetically, and it's late fourth quarter, and six foot six Kalai Lawson sneaks through on the special teams and get his hands out and flows the game, it's going to be that moment. And we're not going to know it right in that moment. We aren't. But in a couple years, you guys are going to be sitting across from us, maybe on Zoom, maybe we're at PKs, maybe we're somewhere downtown, maybe we're at Sharky's. And one of y'all is going to say, Billy's going to say, you remember that night, that play? And we're all going to be like, that was it. That's when we were back, right there. Gentlemen, y'all do not know how much it means to us, y'all joining us tonight. Um you guys are pillars within the Virginia Tech community. You guys playing for the program. Um, you know, we, we started this thing up three years ago. Tally joined us this year, and it has been a ride, and it's been so much fun. I look forward to hopefully catching you all at the games. Billy, we're going to be at Purdue. I hope you're there. We're going to find you, buy you a drink. Luther, Dwight, if y'all come down, we're going to catch y'all as well. But we really appreciate it, guys. Man, thank you, guys. I know uh... – you know, it's 1145. You guys have been on here for, for three hours. Luther, it's great seeing you. Dwight, it's great seeing you. And uh, Brian, Curtis, and Tally, you guys have done such a great job. And um, I think one of the things that I learned early on was um, what makes this fan base so special. While I may disagree with a lot of the people, I love that people – I love that everybody gives a damn and gives that's a shit. It. And yeah. that's what makes this place so special. Um, and, uh, you know, credit to you guys for for building what you guys have built. And um, – I'm, I am looking forward to uh, to sitting down and saying that is uh, that is the moment that uh, that we do get it going. So great job by you guys. Seriously, this was this was awesome. I second that, man. I second. That. I told you guys last night. I tell you all the time. Y'all are killing it. I love it. And I'll say this, man. Look at all the people you got you had on. I know it was a lot of people that couldn't make the panel, but between you know Jonathan and uh, Luther's joint, they do and y'all's and the things I do with Mike and the things I do with Danny Noakes. You got all these different – imagine when tech starts getting back to relevance. Mm. Ooh, boy. All, all the – all the, all the, and we didn't even mention the tech sidelines. And there are so many people that cover this program that wanted to see it do well. Like Billy said, we might not always agree, but when they start doing well, it's going to be crazy, man, because 
you know, we when I played, it was just Tech Sideline and David Till. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Yeah. OG, too. <laughs> OG David Till. Mike, Mike yeah. Barber and those boys. Yeah, my yeah, it was yeah. it was them. Now you got all, but this is cool, man. I appreciate. I I never take any love or a chance to speak my mind for granted, man. I appreciate y'all, man. Yep, and we appreciate. You guys do a great job, man. Appreciate yeah, it. So I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hit a couple of games. So let's figure out a way to get together as a tailgate or something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. yeah, and drinks are on Curtis. I wrote that down, so I'll remember. <laughs> I'm the guy with there three kids here, man. What are you doing now, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring the wallet, Curtis. Bring the wallet. Drinks on our sponsor. <laughs> That's pretty Jeremy. good. Yeah, there we go. Beat my Jameson head. shots all around. Jameson shots all around. Well, listen, as we wrap up tonight, I want to thank Grayson Wimbush. I want to take Dan, Pete B, Dwight Vick, Luther Maddie, Billy Ray Mitchell from the Sons of Saturday, David Cunningham from Tech Sideline, Mike McDaniel from, well, wherever Mike McDaniel's everywhere. Not from because he's from <laughs> everywhere, and our own Shelton Moss for joining us tonight. That does wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Jonathan Talley. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. We also have a merchandise shop. I shared that with Mr. Vic last night. Go in there. Check it out with some of the things we are putting out. While you're there at our website, follow us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and your favorite podcast source. We're on all of them. As always, we let our buddy down in Roanoke, Jason Long, play us in. He plays us out every week. Check him out, jasonlongmusic.com. He's also on Spotify. And check his YouTube channel and his Facebook pages out. And as always, we thank you for listening. Let's go. Okay. Okay.